This episode of Dirty Rotten Church Kids is sponsored by Eternal Confidence, an interview series by Homesick Productions, now available on YouTube. It is a docu-series that explores belief structures and why we believe them. The candid interviews talk with people from all walks of life and worldviews and encourages you, the viewer, to engage your own. Eternal Confidence is currently in its second season, and I've been digging their episode that's called Why Leave Religion. I thought it was super thought-provoking and, in a lot of ways, mirrored my own experience. There's going to be a link in the show notes if you check it out, and if you do so, leave a comment saying Dirty Rotten Church Kids sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey everybody, I am Adrian. This is Josh. And if you're listening to this, you're listening to another episode of The Dirty Rotten Church Kids Podcast. Hi Adrian. Hey buddy boy. Hey buddy, how you been? I'm good, we finally got this to work. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a minute. I was talking about we finally got the music to play. Yeah, that's what I mean. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why things just don't work the first time. Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling? Good, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, on your way to pick me up bring us here i asked you to buy me a package of throat lozenges because i am sick again uh i was sick and then i got my kids sick and my wife sick mm-hmm. i felt better i thought i was out of the woods and then uh sure enough yesterday i woke up and i was feeling sick again yes so apparently i have the immune system of an unborn baby yes uh so it's been great man H- how are you feeling um pretty good yeah uh so someone posted this and i completely feel it it's uh, we're five months into 2020 and it's still January. <laughs> I feel like January has been a long month. It's a long month. Um, I just want to get 2020 like out of the first, out of the first gate. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I'm good. I'm sick too. Um, it's hard when you have cute kids and they cough. Right. My they, kids were they, hideous. It'd be ugly to stay away from them. <laughs> like easy to stay away from them all the time. Right. Um, but you just want to hug them. I hug them. And their snot gets on my shirt. Right. And, and they cough my into face. your open yeah. eyes. Yeah. Really gross. Yeah. So really I'm doing gross. good. Besides that, besides 2020 being crazy and my kids coughing into my open orifices, <laughs> oh. it's going great. <laughs> Not the ones you think, you pervert. Well, I mean, well. Stranger things have happened. So yeah. <laughs> won't rule that out. But yeah, I'm doing good. Cool. Well, everyone, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, this is the second episode of the new year. And we're really excited because this episode we are recording out of our hometown. Out of, of our comfort zone. Out of our comfort zone. A good hour out of our comfort zone. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a couch. I am sitting on a couch, which is definitely new and exciting and comfortable. Yes. Um, and we're here in West Palm Beach. Yes. And we are here to speak with a really um, outstanding musician, a person that um, I'm really excited to speak to. Uh, he is in uh, multiple musical projects, incredibly creative, yeah. and we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But first, I'd like to go ahead and introduce the one and only Mr. Danny Brunges. Hey, buddy, boy. Okay. <laughs> uh, let it play. Oh, mm. man. There's, need a, there's, there's a piccolo solo coming up that we all have to hear. Oh, there's a piccolo. Okay. Right this is this for you, Danny. This is for you. I'm uh. ready. For, I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Awesome. Yes. Welcome, man. Hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. Let's just go. <laughs> we did it. We did it. That's it. That's all we need to do. So, yeah, as Gibbs said, Adrian said, um, and my wife asked me, how do you know this kid you're talking to tonight? I'm like, well, I mean, we played around music, and you're just a guy that I've seen 
in other bands that I wish I was playing in. Yeah. Um, and so it's really cool to finally meet you. Um, yeah. So Danny B, Danny Brunges, um, mm. welcome to the Dirty Rotten Church Kids. Thanks for taking the time to be here. For sure. Thanks for wanting to talk to me. <laughs> uh, it's good to meet you guys too. Yeah. We've been, we've met via text. Yeah. And we've right. joked about lots of things. Yeah. Yep. But we've been interacted. We've, so I feel like I know you. That's right. the thing. Is like I was like introducing you, and I'm like, he's a good friend. It's like I've never met him until just now. Yeah. But I feel like you're a friend. A good friend of three weeks of text jokes. Listen, a lot can happen in three weeks. Kind millennials do Kindred know, right? spirits. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> right. We may not ever want to talk early to you. The episode is a long episode. <laughs> it could have just been a text thing, and now that we're meeting in person, we're gonna find it. We'll right. Worst. This could be like a Tinder scenario. <laughs> right. Yeah, an online. Swiped right. <laughs> Adrian, my safe word is pineapples. Pineapples. Thank you. <laughs> well, listen, man. Um, just like Josh said, I know of you. I feel like South Florida. Um, if you come from like the South Florida music space, then you've interacted with a lot of folks just because um, as long of a state as Florida, the actual music scene between Miami and like Orlando isn't, it's kind of like small and, yes. and there's a lot of concentric circles that are happening. And so I've known of a lot of your, of your project and we share a lot of mutual friends. In fact, one of our mutual friends was on um, the DRCK show, Amani Giverts. Yes. Imani's. So we both have a love for Imani. Hi, Imani. Fantastic human. Hi, Imani. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you because you have a lot of, um, one, incredible art that you release and have released. And then I think that as we've talked, I feel like a lot of, a lot of the things you think are kind of on the same wavelength as the stuff that the show is about. Um, so I guess, could you tell us a little bit, are you a church kid? Like, what's your story? Or, you know, how did that? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say I qualify as a church kid. Am I, uh, so my, my dad grew up Catholic mm. and, uh, his whole side of the family was raised Catholic and my mom grew up Jewish. Nice. Um, actually went to a Jewish preschool. Um, proud of my roots. That's yeah. Cool. yeah. Temple Solel. <laughs> um, and I think as they were raising kids, we were getting older, they were trying to figure out what direction they wanted to go together. Um, my dad uh, went to uh, Calvary Chapel with one of his friends and um, converted to Christianity. Well, he was Catholic, mm -hmm. so I would say he was a Christian, but he would say he Well, I don't know about that, buddy boy. <laughs> I know you guys have tight parameters here in this podcast. <laughs> but, um, That's what we're known for. Yeah, then uh, my mom uh, started going to church with him, and I think... Uh, so basically by the time I was old enough to remember anything... Uh, that had a lasting impact on me. I was raised in the church, yeah. Uh, between, like, Calvary Chapel and non-denominational Baptist kind of churches. Um, so that was basically my, my roots was in the church, for sure. Got it. Did you do music in church? I did. So I probably started playing music when I was in the sixth grade. And... Uh, I played a little bit here and there in, in youth group and then uh, really started getting involved more uh, in like college years. And, and then obviously now I'm very involved in that space, but um, not as not when I first started playing music, I wasn't. But as I got older, I started getting more involved. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a thing that we have in common because mm -hmm. I grew up in church and like around church and then I started playing music 
like middle school, high school, and then like it really like I got really into it in like high school and college. But there there is good there. <clears throat> I mean, um, if you just search for the hashtag gospel on Instagram or Twitter, there are some some of the stupid best. good yeah. gospel musicians. I mean, people get their start where they get their start. But. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think um, if you grow up playing music in church, it there's a lot of things you come away from, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I think learning um, discipline. Like the mm. discipline of ma- playing music and kind of like a set, uh, like rehearsal space and like kind of having to like yeah. be self-sufficient and becoming like, a musician. That's it, yes. right? Right. Some things that are forced. Yeah, and then I think too. I think if you come from a non-denominational background, like I did, I came from like a charismatic space, mm. and there's a lot of like reading moments, like kind of feel. Mm-hmm. I think you get a lot of, and oftentimes feel is code for jumping around different parts of the song <laughs> yeah. on half a second's notice and yeah. being able to like jump back in. But I think that tells you, it teaches you how to read musicians. Yeah. Uh, and you can usually kind of tell where a musician is going to be if you had that experience mm-hmm. in a church and stuff like that. So, yeah. So where, okay. So you spend a lot of time in church. It's cool and interesting that your parents, were your parents religious prior to meeting each other? Or was that, because like, honestly, a person who was brought up, Jewish and a person who's brought up Catholic. That's yes, like, that's two very different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah they, they. I wouldn't say they were super religious. I mean, I think my dad's parent, my grandparents, were really involved in the Catholic Church, but um, I don't know that my dad really was. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting that you're asking that question because I don't really know what it was like mm. for my dad growing up Catholic or my mom growing up Jewish. Are, are your and now parents I really want to ask them about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm are curious. your parents from Florida or, or no? My dad's from Queens. Okay, and my mom is from Cleveland. Okay, um, oh, but they both moved to Florida uh, when they were in high school, I think, and then they went to the University of Florida, Go Gators, mm-hmm. um, and that's where they met. So, cool. um, yeah, I think by the time they were in college, uh, that wasn't you know the the faith orientation of the person they were sure looking to marry wasn't at the top of their list sure well it's interesting and i wanted to talk to you because i think you bring a unique perspective because josh and i come from we did the church thing we planted the churches we spent a lot of time doing the church plant thing and then now on the other side of it we're kind of like looking back kind of like once you've cleared the brush, now you can actually mm-hmm. look back and go, holy shit, that was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you offer some unique perspective because you actually currently continue to serve uh, and, and play and, and work. I'm not sure how you say it these days. You work <laughs> on staff at a church. How about that? Yes, cool. that is correct. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, man, that's kind of a long story i feel like yeah i realized i didn't i didn't do a good job at leading you <laughs> into what i want to hear entire spiritual yeah. story Let's just of talk the about you currently work what at. is the church <laughs> um i would love to hear what it is about your church that drew you to it your involvement in that yeah. space and then now where you are kind of like what you're doing now and kind of how that aligns Be- because actually sure. when i when i talked to imani and i said i was interviewing we were talking to you on the podcast. She's like, oh, you have to talk to Keith, I think. is it, What's his last name? Yeah, Keith Case. Keith yeah. Case. She's like, that's the lead pastor of Providencia. They're really, really cool. And then... I intentionally didn't mention the uh, the name of the church. I wanted him to say it, but Oh, great. man. Sorry. I'm, I'm just the worst. You can fire <laughs> me. Um, but... You can just bleep it out, like, instead of... <laughs> yeah, I think we should. Beep, beep. <laughs> um, but just in the short time, just texting back and forth and, and, and seeing the art you make, 
I know that, that the church has to be unique in some form or fashion because Imani was super glowing about it, mm. and she isn't that psyched about too many churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was an endorsement for yeah. sure. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, now I need to know about this church and Keith and 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 how you guys kind of started and what sets it apart. Like, why are you attracted to it? Mm-hmm. Why are you still there? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, great questions. I think the best way to go about answering it is maybe to just share some of my story. Do it. Um, so as I mentioned, kind of grew up in the church, Baptist, non-denominational environments. And then, um, probably towards the end of high school, uh, was exposed to sort of the neo-reformed movement, the Mark Driscoll, John Driscoll, Piper, baby. Matt You're Jimmy. not a man. Sorry, yeah. P. JP, John, P- John Pipes. Jay Pipes. Yeah. All those gentlemen. Um, and uh, my my older brother, who was kind of and is in a lot of ways like uh, someone I look up to, um, he was introducing me to some, you know, sermons and books and things mm-hmm. like that. And so I uh, – <clears throat> I really kind of clung to that, and um, and I left the non-denominational churches that I was going to, and I went to this like hyper Calvinist church that was uh, like a John MacArthur church plant, super um, reformed, like super like cultish. Um, oh, nice. And, I want to hear more about that. Yeah, well, I wasn't there for very long. Okay, got it. Um, Did you get that vibe the second you walked in? Like, oh, man. It, it or, took a little while. How many people looked like me? Uh, there's actually, I mean, that's kind of one of the weird things about it is like it, you you don't know what it's really like until you're like there. And sure. then you start wanting to meet with people that work there and then things get weird. And Got it. Um, yeah. So I wasn't there for very long. Um, I left that that church and I worked at a super large church for a semester as a music intern with like middle school. Um, wasn't didn't really connect there either, and so I finally landed in a Presbyterian church um, in Wellington, which is about forty minutes west of West Palm Beach. And uh, for that season of my life, that space that I was in, it felt very much like. I kind of found a home. Um, it checked all the boxes in terms of mm-hmm. what I was thinking about theologically at the time and um, just became a place where uh, I felt like I was I, – I, they were doing the best they could with what they had, and I'm very grateful for a lot of the people there that I got to connect with and uh, do community with for that season of time. But um, eventually the church went through a bunch of changes, and – to make a long story short, they needed a, a worship leader, and I had never really wanted to be a vocational minister mm-hmm. or worship leader. wasn't in my my bucket list. Um, but you were there. <laughs> but right. I was there, sure. and I could do it, and I was doing it kind of for the young adult ministry there. And so they asked me if I would do it part time, and uh, it was nice to get a little bit of extra money. You know, I was thinking about getting married, and um, so I did it, and. Uh, and that was, looking back, just sort of an interesting experience, like being, so I guess to get into it a little bit, they they had a school that was attached to the church, and the school started going under, basically. And the mm. church tried to do all these fundraising campaigns to yep. save the school. That sounds about right. It didn't work. And so they then fired the worship leader that was there, and um, they immediately hired me, 
as a part-time worship leader, and they announced that they had fired the other worship leader the same Sunday oh. that I was on stage leading worship oh boy. with that guy's like wife and kids in the front row crying and like oh, upset. No. And it was such a disaster. Did he, did he know? He knew it was coming. It wasn't like, oh, hey, oh, yeah, like, we didn't but fire he, him on stage. He, he got <laughs> this is your told, last song. He got told like you know a couple days before oh, or whatever. Boy. And um, I just I was just so unaware. How of, old were you at the at that uh, time? That you were still yeah, in college? That's a good question. I was in my twenties. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yikes. So that was a very you know looking back on it now, uh, just a crazy situation <laughs> to be in. Um, it's, like a, it's like a movie. That is like a movie. Yeah, and and so the to make things even <laughs> crazier, the the pastor that was there that hired me and fired this other guy, like went on a sabbatical right after I got hired. Oh dear God! And then he came back and quit. Oh no! And so <laughs> I yeah. spent time with the Lord, and He told me you're all <laughs> on your own. See ya. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. fuck fun. it. Um, <laughs> so, but it, it was is this conflicting thing for me because like I really did care about and mm-hmm. love the people there and um i don't feel like i was personally mistreated or anything yeah, yeah. um but i i do feel like there was just so much chaos that nobody knew what the hell to do about mm-hmm. it and so they just made decisions that were uh interesting been there dude Jeez. yeah sure yeah it so, feels like you're, you're you, you just been given command of a sinking ship <laughs> or it's <laughs> yeah. like a ship that's on fire right in the middle of an oil ocean but you're in that mind you're in that mindset where like well i just got to do it for right. whatever reason yes. right on the blank and so and i'd love to talk about that and yeah and you're young yeah and yeah. like i got talent and i'll just do whatever you ask me to do yeah it's for right God. right and before you know it like you have zero life <laughs> yeah you're drowning and for me, it wasn't – so the zero life part didn't come from, like, the church putting this, like, mm-hmm. undue expectation on me. It was more like I lived 40 minutes away from the church, Jesus. and um, everybody that I was connected to that went to the church kind of left after the pastor left and went to, like, another local church that was closer to my house. <laughs> and so now I'm, like, leading worship for this church that's far away. All my friends are going uh... somewhere else, and – like they hire the guy that was the interim pastor who's like a really sweet like loving guy um but just and I think he's he's still the pastor there um but for me you know he may have been the right person to be in that space for those people but for me it was just like really hard to stay engaged and connected and at that time in my life like I was very much um I know I've I've heard you guys talk about before just the headspaces you've come from Mm -hmm. in like the reformed world and um just kind of all of those things that are buttoned up for you and having all the answers and a lot of that for me was like this escape from actually understanding who I was as a person and actually understanding the emotional landscape of my interior world and so um yeah, so I wound up at that church because it checked all the theological boxes, but then I found myself like really wanting to be somewhere closer to where I lived where I could do community with people that um would be involved in my life on a regular basis. So, um after all that crazy stuff kind of happened at the church that I was at, um we were just like We've got to if we've got to find a place that we can be committed to and do community with that's like in our neighborhood because we wanted to buy a house in West Palm Beach. That's where we wanted to be rooted. We love the we love the city of West Palm Beach and we just felt so like our 
faith community was so removed from mm. where we wanted to be investing our energy mm-hmm. um, and serving. And so there was uh, another church locally kind of in the same denomination. A lot of our friends went there. Still me being in the headspace that I was in, like it checked a lot of those boxes for me from a theological perspective. But it uh, – like the, I hate saying you feel God – telling you something because i don't know what the hell that means but like (laughs) the best way i can frame it at this point in my life is like the the union that i have with the divine that resides within me that speaks to me in the stirrings and longings of my heart yes bitch was was moving was moving me towards something else besides this other obvious choice that i could have made Mm -hmm. cool um I don't know if that's like I just got really you know, aroused. Uh, good, good. <laughs> I like it. And so it would have made sense for us to go to this other church where uh, it was a very shared mindset and we had a lot of friends there but it just like I just described just wasn't it wasn't where wasn't we fitting. Yeah, it wasn't where we were supposed to be and so um it's kind of another long story how I got connected to Providencia that I don't know if you guys want me to get into because it might take up too much time. But long and short, I got connected with Keith, who you guys mentioned, and with Providencia. And the first time I met with Keith, uh, he kind of shared like two things with me. He shared his vision for a church that existed for the sake of the city. He was basically saying, I don't want to put on events and programs and have people come to us. I want to go be part of what's already happening here. I want to be engaged with the people that are influencers in the city. I want to be engaged with the things that matter to people in this city, and I want to be able to love and care for and be trusted by the people that live here. And I was like, okay. To um, what end? Um, what, explain. Be- because I've heard it said, I want to be, we want to be known in this city. And yeah. it's just for the sake of having that church's name on a float. There's like a clout. It's like, I want to be known, but it's like, you want to, yeah, what, you want to be what, famous. Yeah, what, I don't what think was, okay. being known by the city was important. Mm-hmm. I think what was important was like trying to figure out a way to be a priest to the city. Cool. Trying to figure out a way to hear the heart cries and the wounds of the city. And, and be there. And be there and be present and nice. bleed with people. You mm-hmm. know, And that to me was like very attractive because I, I really wanted to be engaged and invested in in the city and then there was also this other component of him sharing his story with me and being super vulnerable about what brought him to where he is what things have happened in his life how he came to this community the way he's trying to kind of plant this church and that was where i was like whoa dude like uh, what's happening <laughs> yeah, a lot here? of trust happening right yeah. now yeah like i had i had no language for uh vulnerability i had no language for emotional awareness or talking about the interior world i just everything was cerebral for me yeah. like my whole faith was this you know grid that i looked at the world through that i constructed in my mind and it wasn't connected to my heart that was my experience and um so it was almost like you know i was running like windows 95 and he was he was running like the new mac os x and like <laughs> it just it, i couldn't my computer couldn't handle yeah. the processing but like so my head being the computer couldn't handle it, but like my heart felt like something's stirring here. Like mm. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm connecting to this cool. human being and I don't know what that is. And uh so and also at the time, um I was as I said, in this kind of reformed 
world reformed headspace and looked um, at everything through the lens of a very literal way of looking at scripture and women in ministry was like a deal breaker for me <laughs> at that time. I'm on sure. the total opposite end of that spectrum now, but sure. like they, they like he wasn't just wanting to, it, it wasn't just like, well, yeah, that's cool. That can happen or not happen. He was like, no, we want to elevate the voice of women in our church. And now that's like music to my ears. And I love that. But mm. at the time for me, it was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about this, you know? Yeah. Um, so, there was a couple things that, like, in my mind that w- just didn't seem to register with the construct I had built of the world, but my heart was being stirred in ways that was um, very compelling for me. And so I uh, I went home from that meeting with Keith, and I, I told my wife, like, I don't know what is happening here, but or if I'm even on board with it, but, like, feel like we should hang out with this guy more and my wife is like the sweetest person in the world it does not have a mean bone in her body but she and she's the kind of person where like once you're in you are in mm-hmm. with her like sure. she will be the most loyal open available friend to you but it takes a while to get there so for her like going into a room of 10 people in a living room trying to start a church based on mm-hmm. vulnerability was like that's my worst nightmare. Sure. I'm not freaking doing that. Right. You know? um, but <laughs> she eventually, um, it was kind of this thing where it was like, well, we're going to try to get involved somewhere and we can either keep doing this thing in Wellington that doesn't feel like it's working or we can check, check this out. And so she kind of like, you know, I think mostly to placate me just like decided, okay, I'll go check it out. And we go to the, the, the core group meeting of at the time it was not even a church yet. It was like 10, 12 people meeting in a living room and essentially somebody would kind of unpack a passage from scripture and talk about it a little bit. And then we'd break out into these smaller groups of people. And really what was just happening was like these, these people were able to identify what they were feeling, like actually what they were feeling and talk about it out loud with other human beings Mm. And my mind was blown sure. because I had never experienced <laughs> that. So much of those, from my experience, and it sounds like very much yours as well, so much of those conversations or those times, those core groups or your city groups or whatever, your community groups, are all about just passing around this head knowledge. Like, I yeah. read this. Here, read this. And like, yep. and Adrian nailed it last, uh, the last episode when – and if you do bring up a question, it's not taken as an actual question – it's taken as, ooh, how would I apologetically answer that? Right. And it's just all this head. It was a practice run. It yeah, was a scrimmage. This, yes, yes. <laughs> so hearing that feeling thing is hearing sharing feelings on one hand and church on the other hand is like, that doesn't make sense to me right. currently now. Yeah. It's, it's very unique. It is odd. And I think that's part of just, which I'll talk about a little bit mm-hmm. more, but like learning how to actually listen. Yeah. Because most of the time in in church context, like the it's framed as like a debate or like we're, we're, yeah you yes. know, and it's so I'm already formulating my response to you while you're talking, right. but how can I actually be listening to what you're saying with curiosity and patience if I'm already formulating the way I'm going to respond yeah. to what you're saying? It's not possible. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. But um, so that was happening in these groups and people were like being open and not just open, but vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. they weren't just saying this is happening in my life. They were saying, 
this is how the things that are happening in my life are making me feel. And they were identifying it and naming it. And it was, and for me, it was just a further crashing of the computer. It was like this, I cannot process this, but like my heart was connecting and Mm. being engaged. And, uh, Stephanie, my wife, she, she's been always connected to her heart. And she was like, finally a church group where people (laughs) are actually talking about their feelings. Like, Good God, I've been waiting for this, and <laughs> sure. I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't seem right, um, but it feels right, and but I can't trust my feelings, and so. You know, so um, it's because your heart is a wellspring of evil. That's right. Yeah, that, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Like it, you mentioned that at, at the beginning, and it's just when you said the computer is your your head and your heart. But that's that's what we were taught from the beginning. Is right. that the the heart wants what it wants, but it's also evil. Yeah, and don't right. trust it. Yeah, right. and and. Um, we've talked about it multiple times, and, and it's it's a thing now that's kind of just out there in normal conversations in the secular world as well. Just mental illness and, and mental being mm-hmm. being healthy, it, uh, working out's great, eating uh, right is great, but also like taking time for yourself, like you said, the interior world mm-hmm. is something that um, most churches don't address, and not only do they not address it, they just shit all over it. Right, right. and so if you approach someone like you're not going to bring up those problems because no one wants to talk about it. And you know, you already know the response you're going to get when you do bring it up. If I could jump into something specifically and kind of like poke and prod at a thing, mm-hmm. you were talking about your reformed background had built a grid system and then something new was kind of happening. Can you talk about this transition between like the way you re- interacted with God as this sort of like finite delineated structure, like systematic structure and kind of where you've been moving to and maybe kind of where you're at now. Was that happening alongside the whole Providencia thing? Or was that after? Yeah, that's kind of uh, the road I was heading. Did I jump yeah. on your shit? I'm sorry. No, man. I'm just taking way too long to get <laughs> no, there. No, you're good. Um, yeah, so essentially what, what I discovered was that this church was being planted out of a process group. It was not a Bible study. It was not a group that was meant to theologically train people for the work of the ministry. It was a group that was teaching people how to be connected to what it means to be a human being Mm. and a group that was trying to be connected to what it is that they were feeling and to be healthy, emotional beings that move in the world so that we could bring that freedom that, you know, from our perspective um, as a church, believe the gospel brings people to bear on other human beings in our city. And you can't do, it's, you know, you've heard the analogy a million times, put on your own mask first, right? So you can't do that for people if you're not doing it for yourself. And so the church, the idea of the church was like, we want to build a church whose leadership team is based around trust, is based around openness, is based around vulnerability, leading with a limp and not, um, not just giving people the right information, but actually showing people what it means to be a human being that, uh, to, to, to embody the incarnational reality of God with us. Come on, man. Hell yeah. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, and for me, like, I felt beautiful in my heart, but it didn't in my mind, and I didn't really know how to deal with that, you know? So (laughs) we just kept going because it was like, it's it's a kind of thing where it's like, you know, the the longings and the cries in your heart, we silence them constantly. Mm -hmm. That's all we're trying to do all day, every day, is just silence that stuff. But the more you put yourself in a space where the volume is being turned up, the harder it is to silence it. And eventually, it's just going to 
blow the top off things and it and you can't silence it anymore and um being kind of in the space with the community that that we were with that was starting this church it was like the volume just kept getting turned up for me and i couldn't turn it down and um after getting involved with the core group uh keith the pastor invited me to come be part of um their smaller groups which is where like men and women had the opportunity to be together you know in separate spaces and they're called story groups and it was kind of a more intense process group where essentially people in the group were writing out a story of something significant that happened in their life and they're reading it to the group and the rules are that everything's confidential nobody's allowed to have a cell phone and you're not allowed to fix anybody and that was the hardest rule ever to keep because everything we do is about fixing yeah um as christians like at least in my world and where i come from it's it's um it's having the right theological answers it's having the right uh, bible verses it's having the right language to speak to uh try to make the situation go away or be better or change someone's behavior and the group basically was saying like we're not gonna try to pull you out of this ditch we're going to invite you to stay in the ditch and feel how painful it is to be in the ditch, and then we're going to get down in there with you and just sit there with you until the tears stop. And then we think we can all get out of it together, and we can walk away from the ditch being healthier than we were when we fell into it. And that was kind of the mentality of like story group, and the, the reason behind story group is that we believe our faith is a fleshy, incarnational real thing where god comes down and he gets in the ditch with us and he understands the pain and the brokenness of what it means to be human and he stands in solidarity with that and that's what we see on the cross in christ and so um that was the space i was being invited into without having any context for how to process any Mm -hmm. of that stuff or any language to say any of the things i just said it was just like a total collapse of (laughs) you know trying to understand what are these people doing in this room talking about their emotions don't we all know that we're all just bad (laughs) like why are why are we doing this kind of thing my mind is going all those places and all those wheels are turning but like my heart is just screaming and Mm. it's just it's just singing songs and it's saying things and it's speaking in ways that i i hadn't experienced ever um and so at the end of story group um, semester, because it kind of goes like in the, the spring and the fall, and then we take the summer off. So at the end of each time we, we meet, we have like this retreat where we'll bring a, a licensed therapist to come and meet with people who are in story group. All the groups get together, and um, he'll kind of give some educational background to like some of the more psychological uh, approaches and and it's a more of an educational piece to what we're doing, what we're practicing, like going through attachment theories and family of origin stuff and talking about all that stuff and how it relates to our spirituality, our personhood, all these things. And then in the retreat, we'll kind of break out into these groups and um, we'll do some exercises together. And it's just kind of a deep dive into like, you know, really working through and processing your story as a human being, which like I've, I, never seen or heard of a church doing anything no that like sounds that. too new agey for most churches <laughs> right. yeah 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 well a therapist it, it's just right. a it's, voodoo doctor in here let's uh, get this witch out <laughs> yeah and it's scary I yeah mean, it's scary for anybody you know let alone like in a in the context where we're supposed to have everything figured out and have all the right and coming answers, from that reformed you know? mindset I, I when you when you were talking i was just trying to picture 
it's you're being thrown into the literal deep end. It's yeah. just right, just drowned in emotions and hearts and like. Ugh, yeah, that's... well, I think it's a thing too because, um, the lens I used to look at is like the world is pretty much one color. Mm-hmm. The color is black. You know, it's just dark. <laughs> yeah, dank, dude. And totally. you're just you're gross, man. That's it. Like, what what is there to talk about? You're gross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think as soon as you start to go, well, actually, it's complex. Yeah. And it's complicated, yes. and all of it is complicated, and all of it is everything. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, there's a uh, a documentary, The Heretic, with Rob Bell. Yeah, you, you I saw it. Yeah, it's great. And they talk to Pete Holmes, and I, I love him so much. And he's like somehow like the most complex concept of like spirituality and God got like sorted into two colors, like eggshell and khaki. <laughs> you know, and I think that's what you're saying. It's kind of like you were starting. You were kind of like seeing for the first time mm. that spirituality being a whole human bringing all of yourself to the table uh, gives you permission to be more than just one thing mm-hmm. at any given time yes um yeah and kind of the next part of the story where i'm going is really where the big shift happened for me and uh, anybody that like i've kind of had time to connect with and share some of my story with i've shared this with because it's such a big part of my my journey um but at this like at this retreat, so we break up into these groups, and um, one of the exercises that was based on what the therapist was talking about in our break in our big group session was you had this sheet of paper with the columns of emotions or words that describe emotions, and you're supposed to circle the ones that kind of bring you back to things you experienced when you were a child. And um, I am like. My childhood was great. The <laughs> word is great. Nothing to nothing to report here, and I'm circling all the happy words, you know, and and uh, and everyone else in my group is not circling happy mm-hmm. words. They're actually getting into their stuff and looking at their stuff, and um, so we're going around the circle, kind of sharing, and it gets to me, and I'm like, <laughs> guys, uh, oh shit, I feel like you're trying to make me feel bad things that I don't actually feel, and I don't get it, like. You know, I feel like you're trying to pressure me to be something I'm not. Like I, and so the uh, therapist, like, who's who's still when I when I'm in counseling, he's still the guy that I um, have therapy with. He says, "Okay, if you'd be willing, would you just try to think of one story from your childhood where you experienced shame, and it, would you write that down and maybe share it with us?" So I'm like racking my brain, right? And I'm like, the one story that comes to my mind is when I was a kid in maybe fourth or fifth grade, um, I was supposed to learn how to get from my house to my school because I was going to ride my bike to school. And so um, my my parents drove me to the school and wanted me to direct them back home. And I got completely lost and I could not figure out how to get home. And I just felt like the biggest piece of garbage as a like a 10 year old mm-hmm, sure. you know i just felt so much shame and i don't know why i remembered that i have no idea um but i did you know these things like they just yeah they get they Show stick up. with us yeah, they're yeah, there sure. you know yep um and so i wrote that story down and i i shared it with the group and i was very hesitant to like share that with the group for some reason um and when i was as i was reading it like those feelings those shame feelings like started coming to life again and i was 
just confused what's happening here and everybody in the group was listening very intently and just sort of held those feelings for me and just some people even shed tears for me and Mm -hmm. just like looked at me in this story that I felt was so silly and was just like I'm so sorry that you didn't get what you need you didn't get what you needed and um, I'm so sorry that as a kid you had to feel ashamed of yourself because you couldn't figure out how to navigate your way back home you know and like it just it just those heart things got louder and louder and I felt held in this space of vulnerability like I had not experienced ever before and that experience kind of flipped this light switch on where all of these painful things from my life and my childhood flooded back into my memory my consciousness and I had figured out ways to just black everything out. Like I I literally did not remember the traumatic bullying that I went through mm. from a very young age through middle school, things that just shaped my view of the world as being unsafe, my view of myself as being worthless, all these things that shaped so much about my construct of the world that I went through as a kid, I just blacked out from my memory and I learned how to survive, I learned how to cope. And the reform narrative of you are a piece of crap. And I think that there are, are people that um, are reformed and that have like a very well thought out and nuanced theology. And they maybe no, don't view it this way. Maybe I'm just saying the bad version of it. Sure. Um, but in my version of it, the narrative was you're a piece of crap. Yeah. And it was reinforced by my life experience as a kid. And it fit perfectly with the way that I looked at myself and the way I looked at God. Um, And it made sense that, like, God was so pissed off at me that Jesus had to die so that he could be cool with me because I was just so wretched. Yeah. And and if I just believed enough of the—it did two things. It reinforced that narrative, and it also made me feel like I was finally part of something that nothing could take away because Mm. God chose me. He elected uh, me. Oh shit! There so, it is. So that's I, heavy. I yeah. was, that's I right. was now in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was part of this thing. Right. And nobody you couldn't could lose it. Ever you... take it away from yep. me. Yeah. And and as long as I believed the right things and I ascended intellectually to the right information for long enough to get me through this life, I was gonna go be in eternal bliss and union and harmony with God. And so that was how kind of how I was living my life was like the most important thing were these cerebral things and everything else. I'm just going to kind of just take it as it comes and try to enjoy life as much as I can as this sinner um, and not really know what to do with anything else in my life, like my complex feelings. Um, And so so when all this kind of got unlocked for me in this retreat and all of these memories of all these things and all these shame feelings that I experienced as a kid and the way it shaped me as a person now, it just, it was like, I don't know if it's the the wild coyote or whatever on Looney Tunes that gets crushed by the piano or the avalanche. Like that's what it felt like. I mean, it was just like, boom. And, uh, I was like, you are a evil man and a good therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I went home that night and just the heaviness of it all was, unbearable and came back the next day to the retreat and we were all processing sort of what we had ex- 
experienced so far and as I was talking and sharing these things, um, the therapist was like, Danny, do I have permission to share a story with you? And um, I said, sure. And so he, he proceeded to tell me that he told his daughter when she was young that they were going to go to Disney World. And she was so excited about going to Disney World that she slept with her princess dolls and packed her backpack for a week before they left and couldn't stop talking and thinking about Disney. And then they finally get in the car and it's just every Disney song you can imagine is what they're listening to on the way there. And she's singing and then they pull up and the sign is there and she's shrieking with joy. And then they get on the monorail and it's like they got on a rocket ship that's going to launch them into the Magic Kingdom. And she's just like ecstatic and they get in the park and there's a bush that looks like Goofy and Donald Duck and she's twirling around and dancing and everything is a miracle and everything is beautiful and he's telling me this story and like I'm having a visceral reaction to it like I don't know why but I'm like tearing up Mm. and it is just pulling my heart out of my chest and this is how I know he's a good therapist (laughs) because (laughs) I didn't know why, but he knew why. He knew exactly what he was sharing with me. And so he kind of pauses at, at that point in the story and just like looks at me. And like he's looking at me and he's looking at me and it's getting awkward. And the rest of the group is watching. And finally, I'm just like, okay, th- thank you for sharing that, but I don't know what it has to do with me. And then what he said next is what kind of changed my life. And it might sound trivial or simple to most people, but for me, it was like this, this, the world became colorful. And he said, Danny, you used to look at the world the way my daughter looked at Disney World. And I think that you can again. Oh, shit. And, and I could like, uh, trying not to get emotional right yeah, now, just me, talking yeah, about it. crazy. Because... It just everything that I shared with you about how I constructed my worldview and how I viewed myself and all the experiences I went through in life, it it all like made sense to me. And the the overwhelming grief of how much I had lost because of all of that was a wave of of just emotion that I I didn't know how to handle. But but it was also like this light at the end of the tunnel that like I underneath all the marring and the brokenness there is a soul and an image bearing person that is at my core i bear the goodness of god like my soul is united to the divine and it has been i have been disconnected from that Mm. through all of these things that i've walked through in my life and so it was like the journey of salvation became less about grit and bearing my way through this life until I reached the end and more about like walking back through the pain into the resurrection and Mm. it's just like Jesus went through the crucifixion to get to the resurrection and that journey of salvation for me became like now I have some language and some tools and some some way of accessing like through all of this stuff what I've been disconnected from like you know, Rohr talks about, Richard Rohr talks about, like, the notion of, like, original sin being something that came about pretty late in the Christian tradition that, like, original goodness is actually the narrative mm-hmm, of sure. Genesis. Like, it doesn't start in chapter 3. It starts right. in chapter 1. Right. Like, God said it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good. And 
that just was lost on me totally until this experience really put it's like all the things that my heart was feeling that I couldn't process in my mind like the connection just kind of happened for me and I didn't have a new a totally new worldview or or lens in which to look at the world but I had something Mm. um something that that was connecting like the head the heart and the person and the soul and so that was like the start of the journey for me and um and you know I went through like some periods where I was I was that swung to the other side of the fundamentalist pendulum and you know got real frustrated with conservative evangelicalism and theology and um and I think now I'm, you know, and we can talk more about all this, but like I'm at a place where um, I listened to your guys last episode where you talked about Roar, talking about transcending and including. Mm-hmm. And I loved when you said, you know, putting it in your crock pot. I thought yeah. that was so good because okay. it's it's so true. It's like life is this blending of who we are. It's holding intention, all these things that the the pain and the trauma and the life and the resurrection and the beauty and the brokenness and all of it and holding it in tension without this dualistic mind of trying yeah. to categorize everything yeah. and just being in it and and realizing that it all is leading us towards love it is all leading us towards the ground of all things that um or the 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 ground of being of all things is love is the love of God and so anyways um a lot there but that that's that's where the shift started happening for me once again this episode of the dirty rotten church kids podcast is sponsored by the youtube channel eternal confidence um there are a good i'd say over 10 episodes right now um they're in season two but what my favorite one is titled is christianity under attack in america it's actually season two episode three i was watching it today and um the title caught my eye and just the different perspective. It, it, it talks to more than five people who are from different walks of life who answer the question, are their personal beliefs under attack and how do they feel Christianity if it is under attack in America? Um, great stuff, really thought-provoking. Go give it a watch. Uh, there's plenty of there to, um, to chew on. So uh, if you do happen to watch one of their videos, hop down to the comment section and just put Dirty Rotten Church Kids sent you. Now back to the show. I think that story with that the daughter and the getting me emotional just hearing it. Yeah, and it's it's that permission to see the world in the way you always felt it should have been. Mm-hmm. And I and like, and I, I don't know where that shift came from. Me, I think it, it that was it was over a lot of things, but like just at that point where you can go, okay, I don't, it doesn't have to be right or wrong. Like you said, it doesn't have to be dualistic. Um, like Roar says, holding those things in tension. It's just the world is beautiful, and I have been feeling that way for for a while. Mm. Just, just, just that description of the daughter at Disney, because we go to Disney way too much, is Same. a really good example of as when we were younger. That's how I saw like everyone was just my friend, and we all hung out and played. But at a certain point, you put these rules in your head, like nope, they're out. I'm in. I gotta right. go evangelize. To they're them bad because they're going to hell. Yeah, and I think. Um, it was Rob Bell. I'm always bringing it back to that. Everything is spiritual. Mm-hmm. He was talking about this. When we, he would always say things about like how everything is a miracle. How everything is a miracle all the time. And hearing you talk about that story, the way your therapist's daughter saw it, it was almost like she was already in Disney 
Mm. Yeah. She was already in Disney for like the days leading up to Disney mm-hmm. because every night with your dolls, that's Disney. And then when you're in the car, that's Disney. And then when you pull up, it's Disney. And then when you get there, I mean, that bush is Disney. And it's, and I'm just thinking it as kind of like, in my own experience, I always thought this whole world is a getaway car. Mm. All right. You get to where you're going and you light it on fire so that no one can track you. Right. Mm. And, and when you think of it now as every aspect of this life, is it like this is this is it you know it's all good this is all good good. you know it's all very good um and that's a a a crushingly distinct view of like the reform theology i grew up with where it's like hey god is the abusive dad who beats the shit out of the son so he doesn't have to beat you up Mm -hmm. and it's like because he beat up his son he can put up with you Mm -hmm. you know and i come from like a weird sort of like very sort of strict very fundamentalist family and so like you said when you were saying it i was like oh my god like calvinism was it was it was the same thing it was this it was looking at god through that same sort of lens um of like you got to be afraid of your parents you got to be afraid of what they think you got to make sure you're doing the right things to make sure you stay on the right side because we say you're chosen but if you keep sitting long enough then yeah. we could find yeah. out you're in fact you're not. not chosen. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast and it was talking and it was uh, the bad Christian podcast podcast. And he said the thing about reform theology that was crazy to th- for him to kind of cope with was the idea that it's like you imagine getting to heaven and you're in a house at this long dinner table and the, ha- the walls are glass and you're eating this great food with Jesus. And you see all these people who are outside starving and they can't get in. And it's like, Hey, why can't they come in? Is there not enough food? He's like, oh, no, believe me. There's plenty of food. There's infinite food. Um, So why can't they come in too? I said, well, I didn't choose them to eat. I chose you. So aren't you happy that I chose you? You should be so grateful that I chose you that that should allow you to not kind of care about the people out there. And these weird sort of things that we tell ourselves and the way they kind of those enforcements kind of stack on each other um, just kind of continues to remind you that the universe is not for you. The universe is not good. It cannot be trusted. Mm. You cannot be trusted. All those Mm. things. Yeah. Yeah. um, And I think on that, uh, it was John Dunn Scotus, who is one of the fathers of like the Franciscan movement. And I don't want to botch his quote, but he said uh, something along the lines of uh, our predestination to glory is in no way related to any notion of prior sins. And I think what he means by that is that our standing, God's choosing of the human kind, has nothing to do with the transaction related to our sin. Mm. It has nothing to do with God needing to react to something that we did in order to then love us. God has always loved us. Mm-hmm. And our our state of being grafted into this place of favor and love and glory with God is not contingent upon God needing to react to something that we did to, to piss him off. A price that has to be paid or right. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, another thing that Richard Rohr talks about a lot is um, how the, a lot of, I mean, this, what we're talking about is essentially substitutionary atonement. Yeah. And that is the dominant view in 
Christianity and evangelical Christianity. Can you explain least. that for people who aren't familiar yeah, please, with that? Yeah, let's God explain it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so just, and I'm not a, a scholar. I, I may have a degree. You're in, in good company, buddy. Uh, podcast listening and uh, <laughs> a minor in audiobook listening, but I'll try to do my best. So based on my understanding and, and the research I've done and what I've read, you know, the the dominant atonement theory in Christianity early in the church um, was Christus Victor, or essentially the victory over Satan was what people believe. So there was a price that needed to be paid for our sin and our brokenness, but it didn't need to be paid to God. It needed to be paid to Satan as hmm. a ransom. Interesting. Um, and so that's like the whole Chronicles of Narnia narrative, right? Got like it. Aslan has to be paid as a ransom, a sacrifice to the, the evil queen. And right. then in the end, he raises from the dead and he saves all the people. And that's it. Got it. Um, and so like in that narrative, while it's incomplete to me at least it's not like god needing to be sure paid, paid off paid yeah. off you know right but um so uh at some point in history and i don't remember exactly what year it was but this uh anselm's theory of atonement became pretty much what the dominant view was which was that it wasn't satan that needed to be paid it was god that needed to be paid because in that sort of feudal system of judgment in that period of time which i think was the probably the 1200 1300 something like that you can look it up and fact check me but or don't <laughs> but um but that system said that like the crime you committed needs was to be paid for needs to be paid for but it depends on who you commit the crime against right mm. so if you commit a crime against a king then you're going to be murdered but if you commit a crime against a slave well, then the penalty is really not going to be that severe. But since our crime is against the king of the universe, ah. the only way to pay for that sin is to have an eternal, infinite punishment. And the only way to do that is to pour the infinite, eternal wrath of God onto Jesus. And he's paying that penalty for us. Um, and it became this, what Rohr says, is the most unfortunately successful bit of theology in Christian <laughs> history. Yeah. Um, and the minority view was kind of this Franciscan view, which was not retributive justice. It was not God needing to punish his own son in order to love us again. It was restorative justice. It was that God has always loved us, never stopped loving us, and that on the cross we can see that we have always been loved. And it opens our eyes to realize we no longer have to project our sin and brokenness onto each other because the end result of that is Jesus hanging on a cross. And now that we can see the picture of God hanging on a cross, we can realize we can break the cycle and we can live a life that's meant to be broken and poured out for others the way that God has been for us. And that's a nonviolent, totally different understanding of atonement that has really made a lot more sense in my experience of being a human being and um, this narrative that makes a lot more sense to me of my story beginning with goodness and like what has happened to me is that I've stopped believing because of the things that have happened in my life that God really does love me just as I am. Mm. So not passion of the Christ. Wait a minute. Negative. Wait, what? So Mel Gibson's not in this atonement theory? I can I can say so I, I, really I may have just theologically nerded out a little bit and <laughs> and also botched some of the, the things I was talking about. But those are Listen, if 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 anything, this show is an exercise in botching facts. Yes. Cool. Uh, no, but yeah. that was that's I love that beautifully explained because I've, I've um, also re re read that stuff on Richard Rohr 
and uh, the how the substitu- substitutionary tome came around. But it just when when you were saying it, I was trying to put myself back into my reform shoes. Like I couldn't share this room with you. No way, dude. And to me, it's it, it's such a odd thing to be so avoidant of any other perspective. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I, I just don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrian and I were texting back and forth, and I, I, I came to a realization that I tend to, to a fault, just want to understand why things happen, and I'll, I'll never understand them. I think it's one of the things I won't understand um, is, is why that mindset is just so, like, there's no other possibility. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to me, coming out of this, I think we mentioned on the first podcast, when I kind of took a step away from church and I was like out on a Sunday and not being at church, I'm like, people are like rollerblading and shouldn't they be burning? <laughs> right. Like right. it's, it's, it's coming out from, it's like finally like the, you realize the wizard's been behind the, hurt, the curtain the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not these, this, these flames and this holograph. It's just this dude pulling this, these, these levers and stuff. You realize like, man, there's so much more out here. Mm-hmm. Um, that we never got to experience because of whatever. Yeah. But now I'm in Disney World with my dolls. Mm. Yeah. And it's way more beautiful out here. Mm-hmm. I think atonement theory was a really hard thing for me to um, kind of let go of. Because it was like, well, then why did Jesus have to die? It's in everything you do. It's in everything I... Yeah. Because like every song you sing, well, that, every yeah. class you attend. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's just constantly... Right. It, yeah. It's constantly enforced. Um, these days, I don't really care to, like, label what atonement theory I subscribe to. Sure. Um, I know which ones. It's like, I couldn't tell you what I'm in the mood for, but I'll sure as hell tell you I'm not in the mood for Taco Bell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it's like. Um, was it moral example is some atonement theory where it's like essentially moral exemplar. That's it. Yeah. Where it's kind of like Jesus came as to kind of set a framework around what it is to like live as, um, like live in like a nonviolent way. And that he was basically murdered because he was like a radical against the government. Is that kind of how that goes? Potentially. I, it's yeah. been a while since I've read about, I, it. I guess for me, it's like, I, I say that to say, I think I try and find somewhere between, maybe kind of land on what the sort of Franciscan theory that you were explaining so well. And this idea too, where it's like Jesus was a revolutionary who was murdered because he was starting a movement that was like, you could change the world through war or you could save the world through, you know, sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why he was murdered. And then, and, and it's that living personhood of jesus that is what has like it, it that's what god looks like um these days though it's like i kind of don't even think about it too much but you can sit and discuss the different ones yes and enjoy the sure. beauty and depth and history of each uh, absolutely and from each of those yeah and which is further than up, i could have been yeah come away with a fuller picture of maybe your own understanding of it yeah and I, I've, I'm kind of, I kind of feel the same way that you do. Like I, uh, because um, Richard Rohr has been so helpful for me. I think it's, it's given some background, like some behind the curtain to like my experience, like some theological context for like yeah. why 
Am I experiencing the world so differently from the way I used to? And is there like theological language to talk about it? But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I if if I've gained anything from and going back to your question that you asked about an hour ago, like why am I involved at Providencia? Yeah. Like what? Why am I still in that space? It's because like, um, it's because of the ability to. Uh, explore my own story hmm. in in a in a community that's safe and loving and nurturing and empathetic not just sympathetic not just like oh i feel bad for you here's a casserole but like sure. um <laughs> like i'm actually willing to sit here and like register what's coming up in my own emotions hmm. when you're sharing your story yeah so i can actually feel what you're feeling and be with you in it and yeah. that's like empathy and being in a community that has done that for me over and over and over again um, has allowed me to want there to be space at the table for everybody. Mm. Um, like, I want people to be able to come to our church that have very conservative ideals and, and theological views. I want people to be able to come to our church that aren't Christians or don't ascribe to any faith. I want people to be able to come that have very progressive views. And I want them all to feel like they have a space to process their story and how the the gospel, which is good news, which means in my view that you are loved mm. by the divine, ultimately, unconditionally loved, um, really loved because you won't experience that. I don't think unless you have the space to actually be a human being mm. and wow. the, the community that's happening at, at our church has given me that space and it's, it's essentially made me go from never wanting to be in vocational ministry to working full-time in ministry because yeah. I have the opportunity to, to give that away. And, um, and the worship music that I've written for the church to sing has kind of given language for some of the connections between the heart and the spirit that we've experienced in our community um, that maybe are helpful to bring into a space of worship. And I, I found like other artists and other songs that I, I feel like I can connect to, but also writing our own songs has been a big part of the journey. And if there's scripture in our songs, it's not because I went to the Bible to write these songs. Ah. It's because I was like, oh, I understand that in a new <laughs> way. And I yeah, talk yeah. about it in this song now in a way that's meaningful for me. Um, but really, like, it just, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not worship songs based on correct biblical interpretation they're just sure. cries that came out of like my heart people in our community's hearts and things that like man we need to say this when we're together corporately in a space where we're trying to meet with the divine we're trying to understand the love of christ and we we want to draw praise from the deepest place of who we are and not have it just be some intellectual scent that we go to but we want mm. to unite the mind and the heart and the soul and we want to sing songs together that help us do that and so that's where kind of like the first time I started writing worship songs was like when I felt there's a space for this kind of stuff. And I, I think I can offer something to that. I could definitely agree with you that there's a space for that. I think it's coming from the, the worship background. Like I've been doing worship music since I was like 13 years old and I just stopped like maybe three years ago. <laughs> and that's a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, as my understanding of, the Christ and my understanding of God has changed. I see a huge value in the gathering. I see a huge value of people coming together and singing a thing that enforces their belief structure. 
the downside is almost everywhere I go, it's the same. It's the stuff. same stuff. Yeah, and it is you're singing and you're regurgitating these the- theories that I'm like this isn't right. Yeah, into <laughs> me like it does this. It, I can't sing this because all it's doing is reinforcing some sort of weird dark murder story you know um so so to hear what you're saying about how like there is a place to be able to articulate some of these things you're thinking and feeling um in a way that is congregational is interesting to me whenever you write these songs did you did you find that sort of where it's like what am i telling people to say right now like have you had to be conscious about that in songwriting because now it's not just for you Right, it's for every single person in the space. Right? Yeah, so I was super conscious of that uh, before I sort of had a shift in my journey, and I never wanted to write worship songs because of that. I was like, I don't have an MDiv, right. <laughs> Masters of Divinity for those. Nice, who God's plan. Don't know the lingo. Yep. Um, I'm not theologically trained. What if I tell these people to sing the wrong thing about God, and the lightning bolt comes down? And, um, I didn't. Yeah, they wouldn't the, forget that song. Yeah, that's that's true. true, eh? You, <laughs> Um, but I think, so songwriting for me, uh, before I, I, I felt like I had space and freedom to like say things out loud that where I was experiencing as a human being with other people. The only other place I could say that was in a song. And so songwriting was like, I can be vulnerable in this space, but nobody actually knows that I'm being vulnerable Mm. because I'm saying how I'm feeling but only I really know what I'm talking about. Sure. And unless like I really want people to know what I'm talking about, then I can be obvious about it. But like I can write a lyric that only I know what it means to someone else. It's like, oh, that's kind of clever, but it's weird and confusing. <laughs> so songwriting just became like this necessity for me to remain a human was like I need space to say this and I don't have the space to say this. And I do it in a song. Once I got the space to start saying that stuff out loud with other people, the songs I started writing were different because I didn't need to put that stuff in songs anymore. And I was like, why am I writing songs about God and faith and, you know, my how my heart connects to those things? Like, I've never done that before, and I've never wanted to do that before, but I just started doing it. And it, it wasn't like I wanted to write a worship song, but I would be, like, sitting on my back patio with a few people that go to our church and would be hanging out having a beer and I would just be like, Hey, check this thing out that I'm working on. And they'd be like, I want to sing that in church. Mm. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You can't sing that in church. Yeah. I didn't look at the Bible when I wrote that, you know, right. and that those old triggers like still, yeah, that's right. you know, going loyal in soldier. My brain. yeah, the loyal yeah. soldier. Um, but the more people just encourage they're like, no, like that's so resonant. That feels so like good to sing. And the more that started happening, the more I just started writing stuff. And, um, bringing it to church and the stories of like how healing the songs have been for people to be able to sing in church and to be able to listen to and um, to kind of like re redefine their relationship to worship music. Mm. Uh, Like that's been really beautiful and um, something I never expected to happen. But uh, that's, I don't have that fear at all anymore. If anything, I'm like, let's, let's, explore this thing in a song let's explore this thing we're feeling and how it connects to god and how it connects to our story and how we want to bring that into the space of worship and let's say it in creative ways and let's um let's find things that feel resonant and meaningful to people in our church and i'm not at all worried about being right or accurate because the heart 
can't be right or accurate because it's just not. It just is it complex. It just is. Yeah. Complex. And the Psalms are complex, mm-hmm. yep. right? It's right. like David's bipolar. Right. Yeah. One right. one second he's like, God, you've forsaken me and I hate you. And the next second he's like, your love is better than life. And it's like, right. who is this Either guy? Either way, he wants you know? to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I wanted yeah. to, to read something. Please. That's okay with you guys. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, meditation and, and contemplative prayer has been something that I'm trying to like integrate as a practice for myself because um, I found it very helpful, but I don't, I'm not good at it really. Um, so I got this book. Uh, John Philip Newell is a Scottish theologian. He's very well versed in the Celtic tradition. He's kind of a mystic. He's been on Rob Bell's podcast a few times. Nice. Um, I loved hearing what he had to say, and so I looked up, like, what books should I read by him? And I found he has this – he wrote this book called Promptings from Paradise, and it's a short book, and it's like a New Testament passage. He writes, like, a four-page essay on it, and then he gives you guided promptings to go through as, like, a contemplative prayer. That's cool. That's great. Um, And he wrote it because it was either a monastery or, like, some Catholic parish um, that was trying to incorporate more contemplative prayer – and so he wrote it to help them try to get started with it. And so I was like, that sounds awesome. I'm going to buy that book. And so yeah. I could only find like used copies of it from Amazon, but I got a, I got a hold of it. And um, one of the things he writes in it is related to worship, which kind of surprised me. But when I read it, it just said it more articulately than I could ever say it in what I have been thinking and feeling in terms of my philosophy of what I want to do in the worship space. And he says, uh, this is just part of it, but um, his kind of conclusion is like, worship in the Western tradition rarely moves deeper than the neck. And if it touches the emotions, it is often criticized as charismatic. Some of our deepest physical energies are often presumed to be absent during worship. This is not to pretend that our natural energies, including the sexual, are not also terribly confused and misdirected at times. It is rather to say that their confusion will often result from not having been addressed as part of our spirituality. True praise draws on what has most deep, what has been most deeply planted in us. This is to hold together the mysteries of creation and redemption. The God who redeems us is the God who created us. Redemption is about being restored to our most truly natural selves. To worship God, therefore, with our souls and bodies is to offer to God the goodness of our spiritual and physical senses. It is to be further awakened in the fullness of who we are to a more passionate engagement with the one who is at the heart of life. Amen. When we're done. (laughs) And Jeez, man. That's powerful. And that was like stuff I was reading when I was starting to write these songs. And so um, it really, really... (coughs) for me just flipped the paradigm and was huge uh he's been huge help for me that's incredible i love what he said it's interesting (laughs) it actually could potentially segue perfectly because he said like sometimes when you're articulating worship if you haven't processed something like your sexuality then it can like show up in your worship music and you don't even know why but it's like you and it's almost like you're projecting like some weird stuff mm-hmm. and it's like not necessarily bad, but it's like you're projecting some weird stuff because other things are being repressed in different ways. Yep. And I would like to contend that a big part of like 
the Jesus is my boyfriend yeah. mu- movement of worship music is largely due to kind of like this, maybe this like sexual repression. And it's kind of like almost like an outlet of like where some of like the songs that we would sing at church. Yeah. Are like and, and real in the moment, like that doesn't, I mean, you can sing it. There's a melody, but dear Lord. Yeah. It's like, I don't know like, if I feel song of songs like, like that about Jesus. <laughs> so if you would humor me, guys, I would like to play a game today. Okay. It's going to add a little bit of levity, and then we'll jump back into the deep end of the pool. We're equal parts heavy and light here, Danny, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm going to do, this is a game. Okay. And this game we're going to play, because I've been doing a lot of research, and we've asked... Um, this isn't like the John MacArthur Beth Moore game, is it? No, 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 oh, no, don't worry. No, this isn't like gotcha journalism. We're not, this is not really for you. This is more of like, it's a game and you guys are going to guess. Okay. So this game is called Worship Lyric or Romance Quote. Oh, okay. I've played games like this. And the way this is going to go is I'm going to read a, 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 just a, a brief little snippet. Okay. And then we're going to determine whether you think that was from a line from a romance novel or from a worship song that is really confusing. So romance novel, not like a love song. Not a lo- not a love song. Okay. Like, do you think this was from a, a church, a song we sing in church? Or from Fabio. Or is this from Fa- Dan- Danielle Steele. Exactly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> are you guys ready? Yes. yes. All right. Let's do it. Uh. Uh. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me. He made me whole. What do you guys think? Hey, t- I'm, I'm going worship lyric. Worship lyric? What do you think, Josh? Just because he made me whole. That's yeah, a worship that's... lyric. You guys are right. That was Easy. He Touched Me oh. by the Gaithers. Easy. It's called He Touched Me. Gaithers is old school. That's though. old school. That's... That one was uh, suggested by um, Reese Michelle on Instagram. Thank you for posting that, guys. Let's keep going. Ready? Next one. Okay. I'm going to hear this intro about 30 yeah, times. Yeah, a lot of times. <laughs> Nobody in my life has ever known me the way you do. Nobody in my life has ever made me feel as good as you do. Oh, man. I'm going worship lyric. Going worship lyric? I'm going romance novel. This is a romance novel called yes. Bet Me. Wow. Interesting that you would find it confusing. Got <laughs> because that's, that's very telling. <laughs> that was very hard. That's a hard decipher. one, right? That's that hard to decipher. That was a tough one. All right, here we go. Let's keep doing. The book is called Bet Me? Yep. Okay, sure. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Your fragrance is intoxicating in the secret place. That's, That's for sure a worship song. <laughs> that one's easy. That is Your Love is Extravagant by Casting Crowns. Oh, God. Uh, thank you to Leilani underscore Manice for that one. I'm really... What's the secret place? We Here's the thing. I'm almost positive that talking about the fragrance of your secret place was from Song of Songs. No, but no. And he's but, referring about the fragrance of a woman's vagina. No, but read it again. It's <laughs> your fragrance <laughs> overwhelms <laughs> me in the secret it says, place. Your fragrance is intoxicating in the secret place. That means oh, okay. he is inhaling such vast quantity. Yeah. Such a vast quantity of 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 vagina fragrance yes. that he is he is now stoned. Well anyway. Gwyneth Paltrow just came out with her new goop line. She has a line called Goop. Yeah. And the reason it's called Goop is because every um, uh, multi-million dollar company has a G in it, so she called it Goop. She's selling candles in the scent 
please. Finish my sentence. Go. Of her <laughs> vagina. No, 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 no. You have I to be kidding me. Not. You I, have to be I kidding me. I pre-ordered three of them. <laughs> You're each getting one. That's a Christmas. I'm not, I'm not That's a white either. elephant. My, white elephant. My guest gift. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we pouch the yeah, exactly. vagina candle. <laughs> you just order them in bulk. Oh, my and God. Give dude. one to each of your guests. Oh, That's, That's incredible. so disgusting. That's incredible. That is really foul. All right, you guys good? I'm going to go for another one here. Let me see. Uh, all right, I'm ready. Mm. Uh. You could have had anything else in the world, and you asked for me. Oh, man. Dude, that is tough. I'm going to say romance novel. Danny? I'm going to agree. You guys are both correct. It's yes. a romance novel called City of Glass. Dude. That was that's tough. That's that tough. Was, that's kind of tough. Yes. I have a couple more. Reform circles. Do you trust yeah. me? Here we go. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Right. There it is. Release your love inside of me. Oh no, no. I don't, I don't even want to. I, 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 it's a worship song. Release your love inside of me. It's a worship song. Yeah. That's Guys, that's a worship song. Ugh. Release oh, your man. love inside of me is a song called "Famous for" by Torrin Wells. Wow, great! Oh, come on. Yep. And then uh, maybe we'll do one more. Go. All right. Uno mas. Ugh. That last one's gonna stay with me for for a while. <laughs> that was so weird. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep; it's more than I can stand. That's romance novel. It's a worship song. It's a worship song, dude. No. This is a worship song. Gosh, I I, I, I was playing <laughs> I was playing an acoustic guitar while I'm, you sang a, this song. A middle aged woman sang this song. <laughs> that and, song is called "The More I Seek You" by Carrie oh Job, and that was submitted by Hey Sierra underscore. Thank you, Hey Sierra. So yeah, guys. So you know, I think that's a pretty fun game. It's mm. just it's a it's a oh, vast man. world out there. Um, coming from the worship space, like on the other side of it, I can look back on certain things and i'm like what was going on there mm-hmm. not necessarily i mean this circumstance i'm i'm judging it pretty heavy yeah but on the whole i know that they're trying to put language to how you can love god yeah you know and to their point a lot of scripture enforces this idea that like our love with god is more than just kind of a, a friendly love or something deeper and more intimate there. I just think that it's really, it can get really cringy. But, but like you said, is if you don't give yourself room or language to understand what that means, what that love means mm-hmm. and how to unpack it, it comes out in these very weird ways that yeah. for some reason the songs catch on big enough that churches sing it more than once. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. yeah. It's very interesting to see. It eventually it'll come out somewhere. Those like you keep saying the cryings, those longings of your heart will come out somewhere. Yeah. Just how and when. Right. Yep. Right. And sometimes it smells like a vagina candle. Oh dad. <laughs> so. <laughs> so for you, like, do you? My biggest thing with worship music was I would play songs on Sunday that I wouldn't sit down and listen to for fun, mm-hmm. and. I think so like Josh and my band, the anchor collective kind of came as a result of like 
the songs we've been playing together for the past nearly 10 years aren't songs that we would necessarily play if we just had the opportunity to do it. And I think you come from a unique background where you actually started writing music that was not at all intended for church under your former project, Rivers. Is it still a, I'm not sure if that's still a project or not. And then yeah, now you like, stepped into... It's always a project. Sure, yeah. No, to- I Trust me, I totally get that. And so, but then you moved kind of from the, quote, the secular space, right? Mm. Where you're, you know, making out with the devil. And then now you stepped into kind of a more traditionally worship space. Yeah. Um, how do you kind of reconcile that? Um, well, I think uh, I... First of all, I, I don't know that I listen to worship music, you know, for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a space for it in my personal life where I do listen to it yeah. um, and I do appreciate it. And um, there are things about it that are helpful for me. And one thing I uh, actually said this uh, on Sunday night when I was uh, opening up worship, like at church, we always our kind of liturgy is that we open with an invitation, which most churches call like a call to worship. But mm-hmm. I'm like, nobody wants to be called to do anything. So why do we call it a call to worship? I'd rather be invited to something. Yeah. That sounds awesome. So let's call it the invitation. So we call it the invitation. And um, and what I said before, because I read a passage from the message translation as kind of a centering prayer nice. from the Psalms. Um, what I said beforehand was like, if I'm being totally honest with all of you, um, I usually don't believe most of the stuff mm. that we're singing. You said this. I said this. That's cool. And what I followed that up with was um, as I have gotten the opportunity to understand more of what is going on inside of my soul, and I've gotten tools to listen to the longings and the needs and the things that are in my heart, I have a clearer picture of what I hope for. And when I understand what it is that my being hopes to be true about God, about myself, about others, about God's love, about his goodness, his inseparability from us, when I start understanding those hopes and those longings, then it doesn't matter if I intellectually believe them in that moment, but I can earnestly sing them without being a fraud because I hope that they're true. And when I can sing, because um, between you and me there is no separation, which is one of the lyrics from one of the songs we sang on Sunday. If I really hope that that's true, whether or not I like can say right now in this moment, I believe that I am not separated from God. Still worth it. I can still sing it earnestly yeah. and not be a fraud. And it can still be connected actually to something deeper within me than just what I understand or intellectually believe and so um i think a lot of people and for me a long for a long time coming into the worship space it was like i can't do this i can't sing this this feels fake yeah. i can't get where that person is i don't think i agree with this or that and the du- the dual mind comes into play right away the ego comes into play mm-hmm. right away and my practice now when i go into the worship space for church is like i want to pay attention to what's happening inside I want to pay attention to what's stirring in me. What is it in this moment that I'm longing for? What is it that I need Mm -hmm. to hope is true? What is it that I need to hear that's good news and water for my soul? And if I can attach those things to these things that we're singing, then I can do it earnestly. And it actually brings me into sort of a transcendent place where I really do feel like through melody, through song, through singing with other people, 
I connect in it with the divine in a way that's really powerful and moving for me and spiritually nourishing. And so um, that's, I guess, how I would answer that question best yeah. is like, um, I think a lot of worship leaders have that problem is like, um, I've learned how to do this when I'm up there and I've learned how to, to say the things and sing the things and be the guy and have the voice. But there's a huge disconnect um, from from what's actually like happening inside of the soul and it becomes a job and not um, a spiritual practice of like worship. And I think that's what John Philip Newell was saying in that quote was like true praise draws on the deepest parts of who we are. Um, Not on the, the, the most intellectual intellectually complicated things we believe, but on the deepest parts of who we are there, there is a, a well in your soul and when you can draw out of that well, there is a connection that happens in church, in community, with the divine that I've experienced. And um, it doesn't always happen for me, but it's it happens a lot more often than it used to. Sure. So. Sure. You posted something on your Instagram, I think, last week, um, and it was you said you were writing songs to yourself for the first time. Yeah. Is that sort of along the same lines, or is that like? A different creative thing. No, that's a, di- a different, okay. different animal altogether. Yeah, I, um, I, so I mentioned earlier um, that when I started writing songs, it was like this safe place for me to go, yeah. mm-hmm. and so it was kind of like this lifeline for me. And a lot of times, I was I started writing songs because it became something I needed to do for myself. Yeah, and uh, once I and I still did that in a sense when I was in Rivers. But I still I, I knew that other people were going to be hearing it and interacting with it. And there was even a time where I like was really serious about it and wanted to, you know, try to pursue avenues of like a career with it. And mm-hmm. so um, and then for church, obviously, you're writing from this lens of like knowing that, you know, you're you're putting your experience into words that's going to be resonant with the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. And so there's a different dynamic there. And this song was just uh, this thing where like um well i guess i'll just tell you the story i when i was sick i was watching um messiah the show on netflix Mm -hmm. oh is that good um it is entertaining yeah i would i would say it's worth watching okay it's it's good um but there's a line in one of the episodes and as i was like laying there on the couch sneezing and drinking orange juice or something uh i'm watching this scene and they're on a car ride. These two characters are on a car ride, a long car ride, and the guy that's driving has like a pendant hanging from his uh, rearview mirror, and the girl in the passenger seat asks him about it, and he says it's a long story. And she says, well, we got the time. And he responds and says, yeah, but I don't think you have the patience. And for some reason, that interaction, like, I was like, I need to write that down right now. Mm. Like, huh. I think we've got the time, or I've we've got the time, but I don't think you have the patience. And um, there's just so many people in my life that I feel like that applies to. Like it gave language to like, we have we have so much history, we have so much time, but do you really have the patience to listen and, and understand? And so I wrote that line down and I had it for like a week. And then um, I was uh, hanging out with my son while my wife was getting dressed and ready for the day. And I was, he loves it when I play guitar and we like make up songs and stuff. And so I was just picking this like folky kind of chord progression and I just started singing that, that line. And, um, it's like, Oh, that's interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then, um, she left for the day and I sat down at my desk. I started working and I couldn't get it out of my head. So 
I stopped and I picked up the guitar and like within 40 minutes I wrote this whole song. Dang, that's cool. And the that's song, a good, that's a good feeling. Yeah, it was wild. And the song was just <laughs> about, um, really like what it's like to change and, and to, to grieve how changing affects your relationships with people that you care about, but also how healing it is to learn how to just love those people anyways interesting the song's called it's okay i love you anyways and um so i wrote this whole song and it was like it just kind of gushed out of me and then i recorded it um on my iphone in the bathroom like a little acoustic demo and i sat down and i pushed play and i like closed my eyes and i listened back to it and dude i just started weeping mm. i just lost it for like 15 minutes and it there was so much that i didn't realize i needed to get out and um and it just it felt really cleansing and good when the song came out and then listening back to it it was like oh my gosh like yeah. i'm i'm listening to my heart saying things to me that it's been trying to say for such a long time and i have not stopped to listen to it wow and it finally came out and now i'm sitting here listening to it and feeling the grief and the weight of what it's saying to me and it was like i've never like when people have said things about songs I've written, I've had an emotional response to that, but I've never listened to a song I've written on my own sure. and just like started crying. Right. You know, like sounds very narcissistic. Right, right, sure. But it wasn't like, but because I didn't like write this song thinking like, oh, I'm going to like touch people's hearts with this song. It just came out. Um, Yeah, it just happened. And it was like the song became therapy for me. Like the song listened to me it was what i needed it there was no judgment or critiquing i could just say whatever and like even if i tried to put into words how i was feeling and articulate it in a conversation it wouldn't have strung together the way it did because it just came out of like a a heart place and so that's what that was that post was about was just like wow this was a very unique songwriting experience and i don't know that i'll ever do anything with the song other than just have it as like a part of my healing experience mm -hmm. but um i feel like a lot of your story um has because I, I hear it i've heard it so many times in our talk tonight like this idea of like you have these feelings and then they are kind of like maybe stifled or just quieted and then they just sort of kind of start coming out and we see this happen throughout your faith journey as you're like changing your your way of thinking theologically to allowing some giving your heart some space to kind of ebb and flow and be what it is and when i hear that story about your songwriting it, to me it's just like an extension of that mm. it's kind of like there are as you go through and give yourself permission um consciously or unconsciously your heart is 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 starting to to articulate things that maybe like you said it's been trying to articulate this whole time, but I, I wonder if maybe there's a connection in the timing to where you are now in, in, in your growth. And we, as we all grow together, right. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. No, I think that's right. I mean, I don't know that that song would have been able to come out a couple of years ago. Um, well, it wouldn't have because it, it was rooted in the experience I have had over the last couple of years, right. but I think you're right. And I think that um, in different ways, because every, everyone's journey is a little bit different, but that is kind of the human story, the human experiences that in whatever the wound is for whoever the human is, 
we find ways to deal with it, to survive it, and to get through it. And that comes with a lot of silencing of longings, needs, things that um, are good that God put in our heart. I think it's G.K. Chesterton that said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Mm. And it's this idea that um, whatever, you know, and that's why um, this is a whole other conversation, but when the church really tries to regulate behavior and really like is like, well, where do we draw the line? Like, when do we have to step in and make people stop doing this? Or we have to, and it's like, nobody's ever going to do something because you told them to stop doing it ever. In fact, it's probably just going to make them do it more and you're going to know about it less. Sure. But if you can find a way to be curious about what the wound is for that person and you can be present with them in that space and not even talk about the behavior, like forget about that. Just care about the person. Just show up and be present. Just acknowledge the fact that this is a human being that has lived through things and that is at a place in their life where they're doing the things they're doing because they're human and they've gone through whatever it is that they've gone through. If you can find a way to be curious about that and be present in that, um, it's going to be a lot more healing for everyone than just trying to strong arm somebody into, you know, changing something about themselves yeah for all the talk that i had talked to me and i myself spoke about us being chosen and being children of god when when you were saying that just listening to the word you're speaking i I realized that the church for whatever reason removed individualism from the person like you all just become the model person of that church Mm. and approaching someone the group think yes approaching someone as a human being where everyone's stories are all valid to me is still something I have to work through. Like my experiences are valid and my opinions are valid because they are happening and they come from a place because before it's that loyal soldier still in my head. No man, just conform and just, this is the way you should think. This is the way it should be. Yeah. But treating people as a human being is something that's said a lot, but when putting it into practice, it's, 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 it's a whole other, it's embracing the person as a whole. Um, that's super, super interesting. And, and like what you said about that and about worship music just gives me hope that there is still a gathering of people who are on that journey together, haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater, but are in it for the divine, are in it for the the complex beauties of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Um, to that end, I, I want, I want to mention this because I know that a lot of people that connect with us on social media, and I, I presume, hopefully, some of them listen to the show. A lot of them are consider themselves exvangelical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their thing is like hashtag empty the pews, get out of there. Like it's done, it's damaged us. It's sure. we've left. And I, while I don't consider myself, um, I don't know if I would consider myself an exvangelical. The way that maybe that verbiage has kind of become kind of uh, uh, equated to, I will say. In my experience, I have like not really gone back to church for a lot of the things we talked about, like this feeling of like exhaustion because you are not really given permission to be more than kind of this sort of cookie cutter version of yourself or whatever. Mm -hmm. So to people like that who are like, empty the pews, dude, like get out of there. You represent someone who's kind of like there is maybe there's some hope there. Mm -hmm. Do you have some what would you say to someone who's like, dude, I don't even want to ever go back to a place like that? Hmm. Well, I would say um, some gods need need atheists, 
because uh, they're not real and not worth believing in. Nice. Um, but um, I feel like um, I'm on a journey and have encountered uh, the reality of divine presence and of the love of God that has been very impactful in my life. And it's happened through community. And um, I think that the the church is a unique place, you know, like Nadia Bowles Weber talks about um, like yoga classes are great, but most of the time they're not going to bring you a lasagna when you're in the hospital, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well. And so there's, uh, there is something to be said about the beauty of uh, communities of faith and the way that they love and care for each other. And I do think that there's trauma that's been inflicted on some people in communities of faith, and maybe that those people need to step back from it, and they need a, a break from it. But what I guess what I would say ultimately is, um, are you and this is being spoken to the people who are wanting to empty the pews or leave the church, like, okay, that's that's fine, and I, I understand that, but are you willing to be curious about why you're so angry? Mm. Really why you're so angry? Because anger is a surface emotion, right? That's connected to loneliness. That's connected to fear. That's connected to betrayal. That's connected to insecurity, to shame. And it's easy to stay up here, right? But really curiosity brings us down here and i think the most healing thing that we can do is to understand these painful experiences in our life so that we can be more of a healthy human being and nobody should go to church just because they should go to church you should go to church because it's a safe healing spiritually nourishing place for your soul and um, if you need to step back from it in order for it to be that again then step back from it uh, but be curious about what's happening inside of your self, inside of your heart. And um, that's important, I think. And so I guess, you know, it's it's hard for people to get there. Uh, you know, Roar talks about the the boxes of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And orientation being that, like, first, like construct you're given as a kid like there's there are categories and it is dualistic and you you give you're given a sense of self and security and you're given answers and information and then as you get older and you experience more life it happens at different points for different people but you go into this disorientation phase where all of a sudden none of that stuff makes sense anymore or some of it doesn't make sense anymore kind of what a lot of us have experienced and the easy thing to do is just to stay in disorientation and just to be like well you know, forget all that stuff. I it's it's all chaos. It's all meaningless. Um, but really, the healthy human beings move towards a reorientation towards something that is good and right and true and beautiful and points them towards goodness and self-emptying and love and all these things we've been talking about. And um, I have found that in the church, and I've I found really ugly things in the church. But I've also, you know, thankfully been able to experience a community where. Um, it's helped me move closer to, I think, being a whole human. And uh, and I wish that there were more communities that were kind of engaging this, the, the really the soul level, like the emotional landscape, the interior worlds of what it means to be human and not just the cerebral knowledge piece of what it... And that's why I think that, you know, churches aren't as full as they used to be. It's mm -hmm. because... Churches are trying to answer a set of questions that people are no longer asking. Yeah. <laughs>
and we need to pay attention to the questions people are asking and we need to find ways to connect those questions to a a experience with the divine with god with jesus and um there's very helpful voices that are doing that we've been talking about richard Rohr all night you know like he's awesome um, but there's lots of people, you know, and um, we can also learn from like black theologians and Asian theologians and like open your open your your box and and listen to more voices and, figure, you know, learn that like there are people that want to be engaged in healing conversations. And um, I just, you know, being angry is, is only going to get you so far. Mm. And I feel bad for people that stay there for too long because it's just kind of robbing you of life and vitality and joy and so yeah i think someone said you know rob belly said it's easy to tear down a house it's harder to build one it, any old jackass can knock down a that's barn. it it takes a unique jackass to rebuild one great thank you <laughs> thank yeah. you for correcting me that's good i love that i, I love that uh, I, we listened to um jonathan dominic crossan mm-hmm. he was talking about something uh, in an in a interview he spoke to someone and said that a symptom itself isn't a problem so if you look at something like alcoholism he said alcoholism isn't a problem it's a solution to a problem Mm -hmm. and so so many of these things that we consider and we look at at a very sort of surface symptomatic level is really just a solution to a deeper problem to kind of what you're saying yes it's like me stepping away and not going to church because i'm pissed off at it that's really just a solution to another problem that if i don't take the time to explore then sure i might not be there on sunday morning but i could be just as hurt at home yes. on Sunday, mm-hmm. then, yes. then you know. So I love that. That's well yeah. put. It's uh, I don't know who said this, but that the cure for addiction is not sobriety; it's connection. Mm. And um, that's powerful, I think, and speaks to what you were saying that d- removing the symptom of the problem is not going to really heal what's going on at the at the root level. Um, but when you can be connected to what's actually going on, you know, whether you wind up in church again or not, I mean, it doesn't, it's, it's not really, doesn't really matter. I mean, it matter it matters, but like, it doesn't matter in the sense that like, there's, there's something more going on there than you just not wanting to go to church. Right. Um, and yeah, I wish, I wish that more people who were leading from up front in churches were, um, we're less interested in the group think or like, let's get this, the thoughts right. Let's get the behaviors right. And more curious about like what is actually happening under the surface of all these humans that are in this building. Yeah. And if we can find the way to explore that together, then I think we'll really experience the healing reality of the gospel. Um, but to me, going back to like my old mindset that takes the curiosity takes a lot of time oh yeah it's It's not efficient no it's easier to categorize or quantify baptisms and altar calls Mm -hmm. um and imani said it really well when she was I, i forget what church she was at but she said she was at a church and they started talking about mental health from the pulpit but her her next her like immediate question was it's great you're talking about it, but I don't think you're ready for the long-term work of dealing with it. Mm, sure. Um, and yeah, to, to me, like like you said, the the the, um, the story groups you're going to and stuff like that. To me, I'm like in my head, I'm like that's a lot of time to be mm, with people. Yeah. And how are you reporting back 
to your head church or whatever, like, oh, we had a story time. Well, how many salvation do you have? Right. We have about 14 stories. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, how do you measure? Yeah. How do you win? Like, what are the points? But like, That's the but first place you want to go. From just the people that I've spoken to in my circle, like, people want that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people give social media. Uh, they shit in a, a lot because it removes the face-to-face interaction. But what it provides is this, this <clears throat> constant ability to tell your story mm-hmm. and to update people what you're doing or tweet something out, <clears throat> excuse me, or post something on Facebook or like it, it allows you to continually be a part of a story. And people want that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really interesting to hear that you guys are providing that in a church setting mm-hmm. and then connecting yeah. that to Jesus and then reframing salvation um, in a just different definition. I, I, I'm like really, really happy that exists here. Yeah. And my hope is that that continues to happen other places. And my cynical side's like, that's not going to, because they, they like their fucking Bugattis <laughs> that I've seen them drive around and it says pastor so-and-so in the back. Like, come nice. on, be, be subtle on it, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> I right. can see your tithe money driving around the street. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a weird. You guys should start. Preachers and Bugattis instead of we preachers should, I, and sneakers. I think it's a great idea. I'd just be following one preacher around all the time. <laughs> it's I'm, just him. Yeah, I'd get arrested. I see you. It's you. <laughs> but it's weird. Go back to that Pete Holmes quote. It's odd to take something so beautiful and mystical and old. Just like it's like an old book that you find in the back of the library and you open it up and it just smells like age. Mm. We take that, we quantify it, cut it up, yeah, put it on t shirts, and it just loses its it's feel it's vibe and it's it doesn't have that rough texture it's all slick and just yeah ugh. right yuppie right. yuppie it's just yuppie scum everything's all chrome <laughs> and yeah i don't know it's just it's well, just yeah. weird how we did that and and and, and the, the desire like back to the roar thing the dualistic mind it's um it's weird how we did that with something so beautiful we've taken it and made it so yeah and there's so many stories behind yeah that and yeah. why that's happened and how that's happened and um, like you said, it takes time mm-hmm. unpacking all of that. Yeah. You know, like it's it's easy to be mad that most of the evangelical church, once they found out that you know Trump was going to be the nominee, mm-hmm. decided to support him. Yeah. Right. It's easy to be mad about that, but but there's a reason why. Yes. And being able to to listen to those reasons mm-hmm. why it takes a lot more work than just being like. I disagree and I hate this and this is awful. You know? On that note, is really interesting. There was a, a video I was watching and it was a, um, a black Democrat and a white conservative sat down next to each other and they were going back and forth just giving the reasons why they vote the way they vote or why they think the way they think and they were almost exactly, not exactly the same, but very same reasons mm-hmm. because they felt underappreciated, underrepresented, Wow. Their communities were hurting. And like I'm watching the video, I'm like tearing up, like I don't know these dudes from sure. anyone. Yeah. But it's just the fact that if you sit down with someone and allow everything that you think about this person immediately just to kind of fall down and talk, you're gonna find some similarities. And 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 that just comes back to we're all humans and we all want to feel loved. And um yeah, that that was very eye opening to me because mm-hmm. I, I came away from the whole Trump twenty sixteen thing, like this this pussy grabber can't be the best we've got, man. <laughs> this cannot be the guy who represents Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, and then seeing that video, I'm like, man, we're not that different. Yeah. Um, There's a um a Ram Dass quote that I'd like to throw out there. Um, just to kind of do your point. 
Um, it's pretty popular. This quote says, when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, mm. you see all these different trees. And some of them are bent, and some of them are straight, and some of them are evergreens, and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, and so it turned that way. You don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. And the minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you're constantly saying you're to this, or I'm to this. That judgment mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees which means appreciating them just the way they are, mm-hmm. you know? And it's kind of like looking at it just as it is, kind of what you're saying, and you're allowing to see their essence, right? Like I see the divine imprint in you, which mm-hmm. is the same in me, mm-hmm. right? And because of that, we can try and kind of peel away some of the pretense. And that's really fucking hard to do yeah. <laughs> for me, especially. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I was telling you guys earlier, I'm reading the, this Rene Girard book who Roar talks about a lot and it's very dense and very complex and, uh, his philosophical way of thinking, but um, he essentially like the core of of what he his whole argument is hinged upon is that like mimetic desire or like the desire to mimic other human beings mm-hmm. is the root of all essential violence in the world, and so like you were saying that like these two guys when they sat down next yeah. to each other, essentially they were saying the same things, right? And so it's like. I see and experience other people and what they do in the world and I learn to mimic them and to want the things that they they have and at some level it's not intrinsically bad but as we get older and as we start formulating more of ourself in the world then we start getting envious we start getting jealous or, or like he uses the example of like a guy may fall out of love with his spouse but as soon as another man starts becoming attracted to his spouse, all of a sudden that attraction gets reignited because we have this mimetic desire inside of us. And his whole thing is like, because we essentially like, we see the things that we hate about ourselves and other people because of this, Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden we start projecting our own stuff onto someone else. And when we project our own stuff onto someone else, they then project that back onto us. And then always almost always results in like a violent end Mm. and his whole thing is like that is how jesus ended up on the cross wow and jesus becomes the scapegoat and Mm. shows us the end of this mimetic desire where it leads us and helps us to break the cycle and begin to live lives that are instead of projecting onto other people becoming self-emptying and living for and on the side of other people, especially people who are have less than or are oppressed or so on and so on. But it's very like layered and nuanced, but it's kind of remarkable. Like some he he's been someone that has been blowing my mind reading that book. I would highly recommend. I don't even that's I love it. That's heavy. That's Rockman World. Yeah, yeah the Rockman World too. And I think that's probably a good place for how long has this episode been going? It's been a long time. It's been a while, but I I, I have one more thing before. Oh yeah, by all means, okay. please. So our our past couple of guests I've known pretty well. I didn't have to Google them. <laughs> okay. But I Googled Danny Brunges. Uh oh. Oh great. And I was shocked. There's a a police entry for something that happened with your band. <laughs> what? And some lady <laughs> ran in. Can you explain that story? 
this, oh, sorry, I, I I told you this was not aha journalism. Clearly, this gotcha. is a, this is gotcha. Yeah, this was a gotcha oh, moment. Boy. Yeah, I was is, oh, like, boy. is it? There can't be more than one Danny Brunges in. We're West never Paul. gonna get any other guests. Like, do not go on the DRCK podcast. They will find. Okay, it I'll, was the second Google result. Dude. I'll keep this quick. Nobody Google me, by the way. Um, uh, we when we were starting Rivers before it was even called Rivers, we were practicing writing songs in John Wagner's house, who's our, who's our drummer. And his next door neighbor was uh, a, a woman who had mental issues, and um, she had a very large pit bull and would frequently be outside of her house with this pit bull off the leash, and she would be in like a muumuu and combat boots, and she was just nuts. Whoa. Nice. And uh, I I came to pick up John one time, and her pit bull like ran up to my car and started clawing at the door, and it was like a whole thing. So, um. We're having practice in John's house, and we're working on writing a song, and John forgot to lock the front door. So this woman walks into the house during our rehearsal in her combat boots and her moo-moo, and she starts kind of rambling incoherently, saying that we're better than Britney Spears. We hope nice. She hopes we knock her off the charts. And before Whoa. we know it, her hand comes out from behind her back, and she is waving a handgun around the room. What? What? <laughs> while she's telling us uh, oh. that we need to turn the music down, even though she loves, loves our band. <laughs> so we all uh, simultaneously poop our pants <laughs> and um, start just trying to get this woman out of the house. Okay, we're so sorry. We'll turn the music down. Blah blah blah. And this goes on for what felt like an eternity. It was probably like two minutes. She she leaves the house. We close the door, lock the door, call the police. They come, and they arrest this woman, and they ransack her house. They find all kinds of drugs and guns that she doesn't have permits for or oh. license for. And uh, they, yeah, she went, she was in jail for a while, and the judge ordered a restraining order against her from the neighborhood. Apparently her dog wow. also killed one of the neighbor's dogs. Oh, my gosh, oh, dude. Um, okay. And... Uh, she got evicted, obviously, from her yeah. house. And, um, yeah. And she's like, Rivers, I'm coming for you. And it was on the that's local crazy. news. Yes. That's right. That's <laughs> incredible. So wow. John what? called me the next day and was like, hey, the news station is here. Do you want to come over? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's amazing. Why not? That, you, you guys can't are just make like this. having practice. Oh, you guys want to interview us now? Like, yeah. Complain your yeah, song. Right. Oh, well, our, our band Rivers, we have an EP dropping. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing was oh, we man. were recording the song on my iPhone to get like a demo of it so we could remember it. And so we recorded the whole interaction and we gave that to the news station and they like played it on the news. It was pretty wild. That's do you still have do. that? Do you that's still what, have that? That's what we got to do. Dude, I had, the, I had the segment on my DVR when I had cable for like the longest time. And then when we moved and I got YouTube TV. Oh, man. That's because we could do a lot with that with that uh, soundbite. <laughs> that's all I'm trying to say. That's oh, incredible. That's that so crazy. That's crazy. You can't make that stuff up. No. Mm-mm. Thank you for dra- drawing this out so we yeah, could I, explore I, that I, avenue. I, I gave it a goog. I appreciate it, yeah. man. Gave it a goop. Yeah. Oh no, no. Classic, <laughs> classic goop scenario. <laughs> well, listen, guys. Danny, thank you, man, for speaking to us. Dude, thank you for talking to me. I would love for you to. So, you have a project called Paradise Hymns. Yes. Want to give us a little bit about that, where we can connect and and with with you guys? 
Sure. Um, Paradise Hymns is just uh, essentially the collective of artists and musicians at our church, and they're very helpful in the process of writing and recording uh, the songs we sing at our church, um, and most of them are up on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to your music. Just search Paradise Hymns. Uh, ParadiseHymns.com is our website, Instagram, at Paradise Hymns. Um, and we put out a, a couple of new songs at the end of last year, and we've got a couple other new ones that we've written we haven't recorded yet, but um, it's not like a, it's just kind of a, it happens when it happens sort of thing. Cool. Um, and it's been really fun. Love it. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I think now is as good a time as any mm-hmm. for us to go ahead and go through our final segment of the show, which is called Sip Smoke, read. This happens every single fucking time. <laughs> Fuck. Every single time. It works every time. One second. Okay, edit explore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, right, you got it. One second. Sip, smoke, sip, smoke, read. Hey. So you know we read that shit. Good shit. Let me sip the finest party lit. So that was Little Fishy, our resident SoundCloud rapper alter ego. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Are you sure to introduce our segment? That and was, this is called Smoke Read. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Really, this is just a segment where we talk about what are we relaxing to? What are we enjoying? Um, and this is actually a good episode because oh, yes. for the first time, we've introduced some new beers while we've been recording the episode. We didn't introduce. I should say, you're right. So, Danny, could you maybe talk to us about what we've been drinking (laughs) for tonight, at least? Sure. We have been drinking some beers from Civil Society Brewing Company, which is uh, local here in West Palm Beach. Uh, There's also one in Jupiter, where they started. But their uh, bigger brewery is now close to my house. Um, And we have had uh, an IPA called Game Changer. Which is outstanding. Uh, no, I'm not, not game changer. Game time. Talking game, about time. game time. Oh boy. Jeez. Oh, game man. changer. That's a Netflix documentary <laughs> that that uh convinced me to become vegan for the month of January. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Really? Uh, it's well, about... it, was, it was the conduit for it, but yeah. It's about veganism. It is plant based eating. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, so that was the first beer. Uh, it's a New England style IPA, and then um, there's a sour, uh, Berliner Weiss called Grandma's Lemonade. Which is kind of like a raspberry mango cheesecake situation. Yeah, it has cream cheese in it, graham crackers. It's it that one's amazing. It sounds objectively it's, disgusting it's as so a beer, good. but I'm telling you right now, I just finished it. It tastes like a toaster strudel. Yeah, it's really it, it's good. It's so good. Um, and I will say, I told you via text that I'm not really like an IPA guy mm-hmm. because I was like, I don't like the taste of hops, and you're like, you don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 don't know what you're saying. Uh, and so you introduced. Uh, game time to me and it was objectively outstanding yeah because it's not bitter and i think in my mind i always equated it to like maybe some sort of weird bitter thing that's like making me like making my eye twitch or something but it's really good really really good sucks is that very glad i can't get those at Publix. no you can't no you can't (laughs) i gotta drive up here that's true what the hell man yeah no no i'm stuck but you make a whole thing of it you come up you have a couple beers at the brewery it's true hell yeah dude it's a good point. Yeah, that was really good. The IPA, 
really threw me for a loop. So congrats, dude. Yeah, you converted you me to that IPA. Yeah. <laughs> to that one IPA. I'm so glad. Is there anything else you are, Danny, you are drinking or reading or mm. watching? Relaxing too. Yeah, oh, man, that, our, that our listeners and followers can, can check out. There's there's so much. Um, I just finished reading uh, The Wounded Healer by Henry Nowen. And I also finished a book called Outside the Lines by Mahi Kim Court, which is a book about embracing queerness and how it can transform mm. your faith. Nice. Um, so that was very uh, insightful. And I'm currently reading Inspired by Rachel Held Evans. And um, and I don't – hold on one second. Oh, here we go. I didn't... Okay, he's grabbing a book. I didn't want to say the name of the book wrong. Uh, it's called I See Satan Fall Like Lightning by – uh, Rene Girard, who I was talking about a little bit earlier. Um, so I'm reading those two books right now. And I've been on kind of a bourbon kick lately. Um, Angel's Envy is like a pretty common bourbon you can get anywhere, but it's really, really tasty. So sipping on that. Sweet. Um, and uh, I'm always watching way too many shows. I just started The Outsider on HBO. Heard it's really good. Um which was re- I've only seen the first episode and it's awesome. I watch Messiah. Um, I watch Don't Fuck with Cats on Netflix. Nice. I don't want to watch it. That was crazy. I don't want to watch it. Was it was super crazy. Which that was the, not you know the jury's the jury's still out on like what true crime entertainment is actually doing mm-hmm. to us um, as a society sure. and our well being as people. But it's very entertaining. Yes. So. Nice. To say the least, yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, there's probably other stuff too, but that's that's all I can think of at the moment. Danny, uh, you are a, a multifaceted man of the world. <laughs> you know about beer. Too many hobbies. We had a conversation about coffee. You know about bourbon. Coffee, yeah. Books. You're a book re- avid book reader. I don't know. Last time I read a book. <laughs> <laughs> What's books? I uh, it's uh, it just in the last like six months I've been doing a lot of reading, so. Good on you. Yeah. Sweet. Josh Link, do you want to talk a little bit about what you're... Um, Kevin Michael Garcia has a book coming out Friday, the 31st of this month. Uh, theology. Bad Theology. Um, bad Theology ha- Kills? I think it's just called Bad Theology. Oh, Bad Theology. Bad Theology Kills. I pre-ordered it. I'm super excited for it. Um, and in that book, they give their story of queerness, losing God, finding God, um, Science Mike did a, a, a like had him on the podcast and did a forward for the book. Everyone's talking about it, so I'm excited about that. Um, the tenth season of Curb Your Enthusiasm came back on HBO, and that's a sh- that's a show that I've had a odd relationship with. I picked up the season one DVDs at the library back in the day when I I watched DVDs, and I've always kind of known about the show, but people were talking about it. I'm like, man, it'd be a good time to get back into it. So I watched the first two episodes today, and it's so. It's so good. Larry David is great, and I told my wife uh, to watch it if she could. She loves it too, so I'm excited about that. Good show, and Righteous Gemstones still working on that on HBO. Nice. It is um, a fictional story about a Southern Texas uh, evangelical family that just runs mega churches. And at first, I thought it was funny because it has one of um, one of the dudes from Workaholics is in it. Danny McBride's Danny in McBride, it. Yeah. John Goodman's in it. And the first the first scene of the first episode caught us we were like dying laughing it's hilarious but it's actually like dramatic and like there's crime and stuff it's really good um so i have a question about that um i because i have very little 
to no experience in that part of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. I didn't connect with the cultural references of the show. Yeah. Um. So in my mind, the whole time I was thinking they got this totally wrong, but they probably got it spot on. It's just because I'm that sort of like prosperity, oh, health, yeah. wealth, yes. like Joel Osteen megachurch yes. type of culture. I just have never been in that world, but I don't know. What it's, do you? It's it's from my experience. It's very much the ch- not not the the church I planted because if we had health and wealth we'd still be running, um, <laughs> um, but yes, it's spot on. Okay, um, and it, it was very funny. It's funny, and very it's, dark. Yes, it's crazy. Um, but uh, Danny McBride's great. It shows really funny. Um, and then there's just like a smattering of YouTube videos. There's one guy Drew Gooden. He's uh, in Florida. He just like reaction videos. He's so funny. Love his stuff, but yeah. You introduced a band to me on the drive up here. Can you talk about that oh, band? Oh man, the Midnight. It's uh, super good. It's like '80s magic. It's like all I can drive to now. Super. Um, it feels like feels like Stranger Things yes, kind of it's saxophones and all synths. Yeah. Um, the f- first couple albums were instrumental with some singing, but now the album that the, he he released, I think it's just one dude, um, released recently has has uh, like really catchy hooks and stuff to it. Um. Yeah, it's hard for me to listen to anything else right now. I think I th- that's just my kick. It's just perfect. It's 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 the music that I wish I would have had when I first started driving. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice. when you first start driving, nice. like I'm gonna drive wherever I want because yeah. I can drive. It's that's good the, driving music. That's what I should have had. I love it. But now I have it, so I'll enjoy it for what it is. But how oh, about yeah. you? So I got new coffee. My brother-in-law got me a bag of coffee for Christmas, and he doesn't. He didn't really know a whole lot about coffee. And it was just like a big old bag of brown. And it tasted brown. Um, but it was free. Mm-hmm. And so we finally exhausted that supply. You and so up? we picked up a bag of natural Gadeb from Wells. Nice. Based out of Fort Lauderdale. It's really outstanding. Um, I have a subscription service to Dayglow. So they send me like one bag a month. So I'm looking forward to that in the next week or so. Uh, Alyssa and I started, my wife Alyssa and I started a new show. Um, because we are out of shows until like either Outlander or Peaky Blinders comes back. Outlander. So we st- yeah, it's outstanding. Stephanie got me into that. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, and so we're waiting for that new season. But until then, we started watching Grace and Frankie. Oh, that show is really funny. It's dude. really funny. Wow. Steph got me into it. My wife got me into it. I, I didn't think I was going to like it because it's, it's not really my speed. Times are tough in the Gibbs home. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we're we're uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel, guys. Uh, because I, it's, it's either that or, or don't fuck with cats. Yeah, There's a swear. show called Fuller House on Netflix. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have heard of it. Yeah. Yep, that's very same <laughs> how, energy. How about, how about The Witcher? I finished that. Uh, oh, is that good? Oh, I, I don't know if I was into it. My, You liked it? Oh yeah, I kind of got bored because it was so. How how much did you watch of it? Like all but the last three episodes. And I it was keeps like, getting compared to Game like, of Thrones. And it's, it's an easier, it's more accessible Game of Thrones with more magic. That's the way I like it. Mm. I also read the books that they're based on, and I, I think I'm re- like really into like Nordic, weird, Celtic nice. gods and stuff. Sweet. Because like last couple video games that I've been playing have all been based around that. Um, and The Witcher is based around that. So, like, I want more of that. I don't know where that I can it. find that, but yeah, I get it. The, uh, the ritual on Netflix is about that. It's a horror movie. It's great, but it's about yeah, right. that. So that's right. I've never right. watched that. No, dude, <laughs> I don't watch scary things. Oh, okay, so to be good. scared for fun. What? I I oh, don't man. get scared for that's fun. A good movie. Kind my mind sick. is sick. 
is is just sad and scary enough. Anyways, Grace, what? Grace and Frankie, we interrupted I, you. I'm th- sorry. Thank Grace you. and Frankie thank you guys. is the exact opposite. I need of the Nordic. I need gods. the polar opposite of Nordic <laughs> horror gods. And Grace and Frankie are it's both funny. the opposite. It's good. Uh, that's really it. And then an, a thing that I've been watching a lot of. So I'm gonna nerd out for like a hot second. So there's a YouTube. Well, it's a magazine called Hodinki, which is a publication talking about analog mechanical watches and i've been on like a mechanical watch kick for the past year and a half um and uh so hodinki has this this playlist called talking watches and they interview like a bunch of people so they interview like john mayer and they interview aziz ansari and they interview um like ben savage a bunch of people who are watch collectors who you wouldn't necessarily think were watch collectors and they like talk through their collections and they talk through like what it is historically that is special about having like an analog watch and like the timelessness of it. And I'm like all about it. So I'm like really into that right now. That's kind of my, my dorky, my dorky thing these days. Sweet. That's all I got guys. This has been a good long ass episode. Very long. This could, I don't know if this is going to be a two parter, but this is just just one long. People can handle it. It They can hang. We release our episodes like with two weeks. That's true. You have two weeks to chew on it. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody ever talks about what they're smoking. I don't know if you guys, we did. We've once, Okay. Um, actually, oh, go man, ahead. What are those me. cigarettes that uh, Kinshiro turned us on to? Oh, um, oh, I can't God. think of it. It's I like know. these old fashioned cigarettes that yeah. literally just have tobacco. They're so and good. Water in them. Mm. I found a pack because, like, I was mowing the lawn. Like, I want to smoke something while I'm mowing the lawn, and I don't have any old man cigars laying around. So I, oh man, Nat Sherman's. Nat Sherman's. Ah, yes. Yeah. So, Sherman's. so good. So wow. I, f- I found one. Like a whole pack of like, oh, there is a blessed yeah. God. Like a menthol Nat Sherman is so oh, man. damn. But this good. one was just—it wow. was like the original ones. Cool. Oh man, it's—it doesn't smell like cigarettes, and it didn't taste like cigarettes. Like mm. cigarettes, that I, I can think of like Marlboros or whatever. They just taste so smooth, and the tobacco tastes so good. Mm. That's been my jam. Hell yeah! Until I run out of those, then I'll have to scrounge up something else. <laughs> right. Oh, gee, did you want to talk about something you're smoking? Well, there's a there's a, a cigar shop that is near my house. Uh, sweet family owns it and they roll all their own cigars and it's that's cool like three dollars a cigar they're what? like cheap and they have a great draw and they're really nice and it's called maya cigars and it's on belvedere road in west palm beach so if you live in the area you sh- and you like cigars you should go get some from them three dollar cigars i make they're amazing people yeah, for real. and uh yeah i just buy a bundle of them put them in my humidor and you know that's so cool hell yeah one up so I love it. Well, once my lungs heal from coughing up just gobs of mucus, goop, as it were. Well, oh, they, they, used to think <laughs> they, used, they used to think that uh, cigarettes and cigars would help that. So who knows? That's true. Maybe can, we'll come back around. Yeah, you can use old 1930s I like it. Technology. Reach for a lucky instead yeah. of a sweet. We're all go. about it. Great. Well, all listen, right. guys. This has been a really good episode. It was really good. Yeah. A really good episode. Um, everyone listening, thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can find us on Dirty Rotten Church Kids on Instagram. Dirty Rotten CK on Twitter. You can email us at dirtyrottenck at gmail.com. And you can find us everywhere your fine podcasts are to be found. Yeah, we're everywhere, man. Find us. We're everywhere, bro. And shout out to Australia and New Zealand. We have listeners from down under listening to us. Yeah. Wow. So shout out to you guys. Thank you, Stay guys. safe in the fires and the floods. You Kiwis in New Zealand. <laughs> Give a high five to whatever animal koala you have down there, and yeah. that's it. That's very cool. Oh, now that we've alienated you to stop listening, <laughs> please don't leave. Uh, yeah. 
Thank you guys so much for sticking around with us. We appreciate it. We will catch you in a couple weeks. Until then, remember, it's it's all going to be okay. This episode was a long one, but so damn good. A big thanks to Sanctuary Sound Studios for letting us use their space and for Civil Society Brewing for making some tasty beverages. Don't forget to check out the Eternal Confidence YouTube channel and tell them that them dirty rotten church kids sent ya. Sometimes you have to take a break from being the kind of boss that's always trying to teach people things. Sometimes you have to just be the boss of dancing. <laughs>